2024. The time is 6.30 p.m. I'm calling the order, the City of Centerville City Council meeting. First order of business is roll call. Council Member Sweeney? Here. Council Member Moser? Present. Council Member Koski? Present. Council Member Taylor? Present. Junior Council Member Stauber? Present. And Mayor Love is also present. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you all. Next item on the agenda is the approval of the agenda. Does, it, does staff have any items to add this evening? Uh, no, Mr. Mayor, we do not. All right, does any council members have any items they would like to add to the agenda this evening? Hearing none, I would accept a motion for approval of the agenda as presented. So moved. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. Next item on our agenda is appointments and presentations, and we have a couple this evening. So the first one is going to be our EDA annual report by... Mark Remillard, who is the president of our Centerville Economic Development Authority. Mr. Remillard. Great. Thank you. Give me a second. Yeah. Awesome. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you so much. I'm Mark Remillard, president of the EDA. Um, do we have a PowerPoint? Yep. So the agenda today would be to next page. Wait a minute. Is this the same? Is this the same one that you gave me? You want to, we could start with the, the goals for 2024 if you'd like, Mark, if you want to scroll up. Yeah. You got, you got it in here now. So our goals for, we'll go, we'll go over the recap for 2023 here in just a moment, but our strategic goals for 2024. Um, there are six of them. Uh, first would be to guide redevelopment. Um, the, and how we're gonna do that is uh, continue to leverage revitalization grants. Um, our goal would be to aim for one this year. The second would be to promote EDA revolving loan and grant programs. The goal would be to uh, aim for three um, grant uh, loan and grant programs. The third would be to develop business policy incentives um, such as a TIF policy. Uh, the next goal would be to spur new development uh, with intentional outreach to desired businesses. Uh, we'll be working with Mark or Mike Brass, excuse me, 
our realtor reach out to three to five businesses. Uh, we'd engage with vacant property owners and real estate agents. Request request that realtors that our realtor Mike Brass contact three to seven prospects um, in regards to the interest in the incubator, incubator space. Um, the next would be to assist with market studies as needed. Uh, promote and our whole goal here would be to promote uh, shovel readiness. Dedicate resources towards one to two sites. Um, our goal three, the third goal here, is to increase business engagement. Um, to secure five to ten businesses at our upcoming um, business appreciation event. Um, secure one to three raffle sponsors for upcoming business appreciation. Continue strengthening partnerships with uh, partner agencies. Continue to attend ribbing, cuttings, and groundbreakings along with uh, following up post events. Um, we would encourage incentives to shop locally, encourage discounts for veterans. Um, our, our outreach efforts are the BRE visits 12 to 20 throughout the year. Uh, social media posts, we push pushing six a year and highlight signature events and promote businesses through our swag bags. One of the things I just want to point out with um, what Mark is going through here is that uh, there was a, uh, a substantial effort this year to sort of um, move towards uh, smart goals. If you hear him saying we're going to contact three businesses, we're going to uh, talk to two developers, and sort of trying to put a, a number on some of these things and um, hold ourselves accountable to do some of those things um, you know, and put some quantifiable uh, goals in there rather than having them just broad brush and um, you know, a little bit vague, really wanted to. It's still good to have broad goals, but to boil them down to some actionable items is, is a good thing. So, thank you, Mark. Uh, the fourth goal here would be to uh, market and promote our city. Uh, how we're going to do that is maintain website presence and promote vacant property listings, uh, create marketing materials, and just uh, distribute those through key events include beautification dollars in our upcoming EDA budget. Um, the fifth goal is through placemaking. Uh, for those of you who, uh, I think this was Ray, you had uh, uh, this idea last year. Um, our goal, or what placemaking is, is um, it aims to create public spaces that inspire and promote social interaction and cultural exchange. Um, that is, our, what, we're, what our goal here this year is to start with um, two to six surveys to get a better understanding of what the residents are looking for and then uh, build on that. Uh, six is, uh, sixth goal for the year would be the business retention and expansion. Uh, continue to promote EDA programs, blue logo, center stage, revolving loan and grant programs, uh, and conduct the BRE visits with uh, 12 and 20 of those BRE visits here in 2024. Uh, do we have the, thank you. So we're kind of going back, backwards here, so we've got to go over what uh, the review of what we did last year in 2023. Um, our goal, first goal last year was uh, to guide re redevelopment. Um, how we achieved that was received pre-development grant uh, to prep two sites for redevelopment, 
completed environmental phase one at 1737, along with uh, we completed the geotechnical study also at 1737. Environmental phase one was completed at block seven. Um, and we received a pre-development grant to conduct a hotel study uh, at the site just north of Norbella. And if it's, if it's not clear here, we didn't complete that study, um, and that study was shared with several developers um, um, that were interested in, in the site and, and talking about hotels. Um, goal two for last year was spur new development. Uh, the EDA would work closely with uh, Mike Brass, our city realtor, and recruit new businesses. Um, 1737 Main Street. Uh, we did have some interest, never didn't pan out for guys and dolls, the Asian result concept. Uh, block seven, we had the townhomes, both for uh, concept or townhomes from Lenar and Shavinsky, the Kennedy properties, um, also apartments from Kennedy property at um, on block seven. And Lamont par uh, properties, we had apartments from uh, North, Shore, North Shore development and Ebert. Construction. Just so I could interject, you know, some of these things may not sound familiar to you. Oh, I didn't know that uh, Kennedy proposed an apartment or that uh, North Shore was looking at, at the Lalonde. Some of these, uh, you know, fizzled out at the staff level uh, or we, you know, heard from them and, and talked with Mike and uh, went back and forth a bit and then they didn't proceed forward far enough to come from the council or even sometimes the EDA. But these are things that are happening behind the scenes as well. So. Uh, we do, the EDA has performed some intentional outreach through the quad chamber meetings and the tenants at the Hugo Business uh, Association uh, Business Appreciation Dinner, of course, that we had in November, along with the NCAR Expo and the EDA M events. Um, we made some trips out to some businesses and some, with some promotional opportunities. Third, um, goal last year was to increase business engagement. Um, our big event, of course, was the business appreciation at Kelly's a couple months ago. We had um, pretty good turnout with 13 businesses, which was a lot better turnout than we had over the years. Um, that was had a lot to do with just we went out, we got out, went out, we actually swung some doors and got people interested in that, which we will continue to do this year. Uh, fourth goal, promote and market our city. The EDA has actively promoted the city through center stage ads, uh, which is uh, through the, does, it, does promotions through the newspaper, social media, and North Metro TV. AC Red in Anoka County and Quad Chamber, uh, the 3M Open Tournament, MCAR, Upriver Real Estate, Quad Newsletters. Um, we continue to work on our website presence and updating that. Uh, last year, we continue to do that this year. Um, community events, promotional opportunities via the swag bags. Uh, Placemaking, um, last year we co-sponsored the Beautiful Lights that are outside um, with the, with the, in, the, in the race. Um, any questions from last year or what we have planned for 2024? All right, council, any questions for President Rimmelard or comments? 
Uh, right, May, Mr. Mayor. Please. Yeah, so what's going to, are we going to continue with the center stage program or is there some question that may not continue or are we running out of? We, there's, I think that is a question that we've been kind of contemplating. I think we, last year we tweaked that a bit with change, with how we, how we were managing that and how we were promoting that, but it's, um, and I have talked to some businesses here locally and, and get, I think we need to get a little bit more input to the, with the businesses and I think that's kind of our outreach this year. I think our goal this year is to get more input from the actual business and see what, how, what they want and what they would use because um, one of the problems that we had over the last few years is just getting interest in people to, to take advantage of it, right? And so, um, Either they thought it was too much. There was too much of a commitment with time. Um, they didn't like the that they was. They felt that they were um, they were committing to something. Um, so yeah, I think that is something that we're going to be exploring on whether or not that should continue or if there is a better way to to market the local businesses. Yeah, because I really like that. I personally, I just really like to hear and 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 and. Uh, you know, give some exposure to the businesses, and I, I always thought you guys did a very good job with that, and um, I, I just really enjoyed it, and and I like your um, placemaking thoughts too. That one, I mean, overall, you guys do a great job, and thank you so much to all of you for doing what you're doing there. Um, but I do like that placemaking, and I think that just kind of adds a touch, and, and, and it adds some identity in a way, or just, I don't know, it just spruces things up a little bit, or make it, things more attractive, I don't know, but I I like those concepts, and um, yeah, so, well done. Thank you. Appreciate it. Any others? All right, well, from my chair, um, President Remillard, I just want to, first of all, I want to say thank you to the members of the EDA. Uh, two of our council members here are on the EDA, Darren Mosier and Terry Sweeney. And we also have you, Chris Swenson, and Tony. Mr. Mayor, I'm not on EDA. Do I have it mixed up? It's Ray instead of Terry. <laughs> so, sorry about that, Ray. Was that just this year? We switched. Just That's switched. what it was. There, there was something in my head that said, wait a second. She's not sworn in yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we have will it. have Ray uh -huh. serving <laughs> on our EDA, so I'm uh, very excited about that. I also want to thank Athanasia, who is our staff member who has up our EDA. Um, the question I have, though, is if the EDA could have anything from council to promote and spark a big idea of any sort, what would that be? I mean, what's that big audacious idea out there that we're kind of scared to ask because we go, council will never approve that? Um, it's, a, it's a fair question. I, I think a lot of that... I, the incubator space, I think, is something that we need to learn a little bit more about and whether or not that's, that is feasible. And I think once we, I, I think once we know whether or not that's feasible in the city, I think then we'd be, the question would be whether or not it would make sense for us to have the power to move that, move that through. Um, and whether that we would have the money to do that. I think if I may, Mr. Mayor, I, I think it kind of gets to the larger question of, um, to me the big question here that I'm a little afraid to ask too, <laughs> is is the council ready in the evolution of the EDA, and I'll call it an evolution because mm -hmm. as one of our EDA members pointed out, it seems like, you know, 
didn't have much of a plan when you started this, and I, I, I readily admit it. Yeah, we kind of just jumped in because <laughs> it seemed like a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, actually, it was my predecessor that started it, and I said, well, I better get her going. And um, so now I think we're at a point, five years later, where the EDA is evolving, and you need to make a decision, I think, in terms of, in conjunction with the EDA, as to whether or not you're going to jump into that next realm of what EDAs do from being a, um, a an entity that has put a couple ads in the newspaper, might help you out with uh, you know the blue sign out on the freeway. You might have a little get together with all the businesses, you know, and have a little speaker. To engaging in things like spending money on capital things, right? Uh, whether it's placemaking, we're gonna you know put a, a town square park in, or we're gonna um, do big time capital things that cost tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then sort of in that next level of are we going to start to look at property acquisition, property assembly, um, and maybe even that next step is getting into the business of being a landlord, which an incubator space for, if I really want to boil it down, is the city sort of being in that landlord game, whether it's a full landlord or being a silent partner in a private partner relationship. Um, again, like Mark said, we need to learn more about these things and, and figure out how we might with, you know, within some realm of reality, be a partner in that. Uh, but that's, I think, the question for the council is: Do you want to make that next jump? Because it's a big jump. <coughs> it's, it's. We right now we've got budget is thirty-five thousand dollars. That's not going to get you a lot of property acquisition, mm -hmm. partnership, private public partner, private partnerships. But there is that four hundred fifty thousand dollars in HRA money sitting with the county that is ours to work help with. work with Karen to understand where that might be best spent. Is, it a, is there a time when the council says, let's give that control of that money over to the EDA, or partial control of that money over to the EDA, allocate some of that to the EDA? Is there a time when the council makes a decision to um, check some, uncheck some of the boxes we checked last time and when we made the EDA in terms of do they have the power to issue a bond, power to have their own levy, power to condemn I mean, all sorts of these things that are next steps up, right? Sure. And whether or not those are appropriate, I'll save that debate for later. But I think that's the question in front of the council is, where do you want your EDA to go in terms of those next level? And, that, and that's great. I, I didn't have that answer when I wrote down the question of, okay, what's that next big thing? But what I would like to encourage is, you know, as we're looking at strategic plans, as we're looking at what's next, to start those conversations. What I don't want to do is stifle them now. I can't promise a yes, right? Yeah. but I can promise a, a no if it's never asked. Yeah. So, um, you know, for this body to have that opportunity to even have that conversation, it has to be put in front of us. Um, I can have all ideas in the world, but if I keep them all to myself, they don't go anywhere. And it what should I'm, be, I mean, I'm, ass, I'm assuming, my, and sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I, I please. Mean, it's got, it should be a feasible project, right? I mean, we have us just coming up with an idea mm -hmm. and it's not feasible, it, it's not going to do us any good, right? So I, at this point, I think we need to figure out what will work and get in something that would actually uh, make sense for the city. And, and that's, I think that's where we're at at this point. Sure. And, and thank you for that, because, you know, what you just talked about was a project. 
what I heard Mark talk about were plans. And to me, if I have the plans in place, then the projects are whatever they may be. And when the opportunity fund or the opportunity comes along, if the plans are already laid out, we're able to take advantage of it. We don't know what's going to come knocking tomorrow. I mean, we didn't know Lalonde would be something we're talking about right now a year ago. They, these things happen. And for me, as a mayor, I just say, I want to be ready. Um, it's not always yes, right? I mean, there are times we've said no to things, but you just never know unless we ask. So what I don't want to stifle is the opportunity to have others share big ideas. And who knows what that idea may spark. Understood. All right. Did I say anything that sparked anyone else? Oh, everyone's just letting me be. So, uh, if there's nothing else, we want to say thank you again for coming out. Thank you for presenting, and we hope the EDA is, has a great year with our new EDA member. Yes. <laughs> Look forward to it. You mean Jerry? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> All right. Next item on our agenda is another um, presentation under appointments and presentations. And we have um, Met Council Area Representative Gail Cedarberg here to visit with us this evening. Well, hello, Mayor, Councilman, members, administrators. Thank you so much for inviting me to come. This was two weeks ago, we zoomed in a call and I, I drove up and drove around Centerville. Um, I was elected appointed to the Met Council in March of 2023, so I'm still a newbie. Um, and I know that Susan Vento was your previous district representative, and as I was coming up here, she said to say hello to everybody, because uh, she was redistrict due to population, and so I captured uh, Centerville as well. I did send up a picture of what District 11 looks like with a map. Um, and I think it was a really good kind of redistricting. So I've got, um, you know, Columbus, Centerville, Lionel Lakes, Forest Lake, Hugo, Scandia, down to Stillwater, Monomedi, White Bear Lake. So, and then it continues down into um, uh, Oak Park Heights, Lake Elmo, Afton, a little strip of Woodbury, um, you know, I probably sent you the wrong map. No, I sent you the right map. Grant, Stillwater, and down to Afton. So I've got Stillwater Township is a, probably one of the bigger towns, Lake Elmo. But it's been really nice because you can see that there's a lot of commonalities in the communities that are in this district. You know, there's um, not a lot of them are areas are connected up to the uh, wastewater treatment plants. Some are. So lots of regional housing, lots of smaller communities, lots of open space, agricultural space, rural space. And as we get down to Stillwater, White Bear Lake, it gets a little bit more urban and uh, more densely populated. So for me, it's a great opportunity to get to know everybody and understand your concerns and see how I can help you with anything that you need from the Met Council. Now, I don't know if everybody is familiar with the Met Council, but I'll just let you remind you, and I get to remind myself, that it is a seven-county regional planning 
board. Um, it's, we're appointed by the governor, um, and we're planned for transit, transportation, wastewater, water, housing, parks and rec. And I probably missed something else up there. No, parks, housing, wastewater, water, and transportation. And so um, what I'd like to do is just tell you a little bit about myself so you know where I'm grounded from. I was born and raised in St. Paul. Um, had the opportunity to uh, graduate from Highland Park Public High School. I'm a great proponent of public schools. Had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in my summers at a log cabin at the lake. I guess I call myself a free-range child because I had the best of both worlds, kind of in town St. Paul, plus being able to spend my free time barefoot and running around on a bike most of the summers. Um, I was the middle child, so maybe I wasn't the best behaved. Um, and, uh, and so I grew up with a love of being outdoors, water, the environment. So I went to graduate school and earned graduate degrees in hydrogeology, hydrology, and environmental engineering, and that has been my career for 30 plus years. So when the opportunity came up, somebody called me and said, well, the, this district, um, which has a lot of water, a lot of environmental problems, with, uh, not with the PFAS, with Woodbury, the White Bear Lake, groundwater issues and the legislative impact there, they said, Gail, why don't you apply and I'll help back you. So I was nominated for it and the governor appointed me. So I feel that I've got a good technical background, policy background to um, listen, learn, and bring concerns to the council and get back to you on anything you can help. Um, things that we're doing right now is I'm meeting a lot with Lake Elmo because of they're you know, dealing with their groundwater issues and PFAS contamina contamination, helping Scandia. They have a new um, city administrator, so I met with him to say, you know, what do you need? And he goes, I don't know. So, you know, but we, I put him in contact with people. So if I don't know the answer to something, I will find somebody who can help you. Um, what's going on now is... Well, and I'd just like to talk about the preconceived notion that the Met Council tells you what to do. The Met Council does not tell you what to do. You have to develop comprehensive plans every 10 years, but they're your comprehensive plans. And then we work with you to make sure of what you need to, to fulfill those comprehensive plans. And right now we're in the 2050 planning cycle. And so we're doing a 2050 regional development plan using the, the um, 2020 census. And all the census data is now on the Metropolitan Council website. And so you can look at the census data for your community and sort it any which way you want. Um, and if you have trouble locating that, I can send out links to you to look at that. But it's a big database. Um, the Met Council has lots of data, maps, GIS for your community as well. There's also 2050 water policy plan, and embedded in that is the 2050 water supply management plan. And that is, the water supply management plan is actually approved by MOSAC, which is a group of about 30 people, communities, public, private, municipal water groups, 
to put that water supply plan together. And this year what they're doing, maybe you've been involved in it, they've reached out and are doing sub-regional water supply plans. So that was a criticism 10 years ago of how can you do a water supply plan for seven counties. So there's a northeast regional, sub-regional water supply group that met two weeks ago in Shoreview. There's an east one, southeast. So there, my council has been listening to say, okay, how are these things different and the same? And so the northeast one really hits the rural communities. Some have wells, some have a lot of private wells. And how do we look at water quality, water supply, how does that fit in with your growth, et cetera? Um, there is a 2050 transportation plan that's coming up in a 2050 housing plan. Um, all of these are going to be in draft form during the summer of this summer, but there is time to look at those plans now and engage and put comments back. And if you want to send those comments to me, that's fine, but you can go directly to the website under the plan and add your voice in, call me up, call you know whoever you want up to have meetings and learn a little bit more. Um, I do understand that um, part of this northeast, part of the metro is kind of a transportation desert, I will say. Um, and so I know Forest Lake is struggling with getting transit for microtransit around their town to move people around. Um, the express buses, you know, are, haven't been restarted to St. Paul, Minneapolis. All of those things um, I have reported back to Metro Transit and back to the transportation departments. And as part of the 2050 plan, we can add our voices in to say what's really going on with ridership and uh, how do we um, for those communities who need additional transportation, whether it's local or into the cities, how can we develop those as well? Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, I do want to share with, I really appreciate the um, mayor, your kind of long range planning. And if you don't have a plan, you can't do the projects. And I think you and I and the council think a lot alike on that. Um, I like to think of, you know, how, what are we going to be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years? And how do we, you know, everybody can push a ball uphill, but that takes a lot of muscle. But how do we kind of think about creatively leapfrogging some of our challenges and coming up with creative ideas that we may may not have an immediate solution to them, but the solution will come if we have them in our minds. Um, and what I wanted to do is we're working on the 2050 vision for the, the whole set of plans. And um, I was on this committee. Um, and so, let's see, where is I, since I turned it, now I can't find it. Here it is. So the vision for Imagine 2050, which is kind of the whole system of 2050 goals, and we're really looking at Imagine 2050. So there's nothing out of the realm that we can't imagine. So let's get it out there. Let's get your voices heard. Let's put it out there. 
and let's get them in these plans and let the staff know and let me know so I can also champion what you're interested in as well. So the Met Council endorsed this vision statement for Imagine 2050, and that is our theme. A prosperous, equitable, and resilient region with abundant opportunities for all to live, work, play, and thrive. That kind of embodies economic prosperity, quality of life, um, you know, good jobs, thriving, housing, stability, and all of those things. Um, so this is kind of in draft, but it's getting close to being finalized. So um, we look at a vision statement as being short as to who we imagine we're going to be. And I tie that into why I wanted to be a council member is because, you know, I kind of grew up with this hardworking family, but I still had the best of everything. You know, I, I didn't really want for anything. Didn't have a lot, but never wanted for anything. Great school. If I had a bike, I could go anywhere. You know, public access to to parks and lakes and a fishing rod, and you could have a great life as a child, as a teenager, and as an adult. And I feel that it's my responsibility to help everybody in the metro region, no matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, what your economic you know, purse strings are, you have the right to have that kind of life in the metro area. And so that's what I'm committed to doing. Like I said, I'm a newbie, but that is my passion. Um, and so that's where I um, really think that I can help you or, um, or anything else you need that you think I can help. Like I said, I'm not, I don't have all the answers, but I can get you the answers on that. Um, so that's kind of my introduction, but... If there's any other thing you want to ask about the Met Council or me or or anything, um, feel free. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Mayor, before we go to council questions, I'd, I'd just like to make a quick uh, comment, which is that I um, had the opportunity to meet with Gail, unfortunately not in person because I was sick at the time, but um, or at least isolating at the time. I was probably <laughs> over my illness. But, um, you know, just super excited, maybe as an engineer, to have a hydrogeologist. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I looked right at him. When she <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Gail's got a, a wonderful background, uh, worked as a consultant um, for a number of years uh, with a very reputable firm, and um, what, a, what a great resource to have in terms of one of the major issues we're going to be facing in the next 20 years, which is access to clean water. I'm, I'm super thrilled that the, the mission statement has the word resilient in it. Yes. Um, and um, and the words thrive and all those types of things. And Gail and I were able to have a nice conversation over Zoom about what it means to be resilient and what it means to thrive. And those things include um, thriving um, under the burden of, uh, or not under the burden of um, water bills that you can't afford because we've decided to do something extraordinarily expensive, um, uh, thriving, and being resilient means when there's a drought, we still have access to water. Um, we're not at being asked to, you know, stop brushing our teeth or something because we can't uh, have, can't find water. So um, we discussed a lot about the White Bear Lake system, uh, issue. Again, I just want to review because I think it's important that council understand our position here. We are 
the, the, the judge in that case said that anyone within a five mile radius, any, any well within a five mile radius, is um, puts you under some restrictions on how much uh, water you can use as a community. And you, you've seen, if you watch in the papers, Hugo um, has been, um, I don't want to say putting up a fight, They're, they've been much more professional about it than that, but um, they're concerned, gravely concerned about the future of their community and what it means to their planning efforts um, in terms of the restrictions being put on them. Uh, we happen to be one, uh, 5.1 miles away um, <laughs> with our nearest well, and um, I'm very nervous that as this evolves, Somebody might say, how about 5.5 miles away from Wiper Lake or, um, you know, and what does that mean? I, I feel like there's a bit of a, and no pun intended to the Met Council, but I feel like there's a train that's on a track that's heading down a road that I'm not excited about, and that is some sort of regional water system which ties us to surface water, um, likely from the Mississippi. And I, I feel strongly that that's a terrible, terrible idea for the Northeast Metro. Um, you know, all to solve one problem with one lake, allegedly solve, uh, you know, there's a study, uh, we all have our opinions about the study, um, but, you know, to me, um, when we've successfully pumped from the same well for coming up on 40 years now, and have not seen the level in that aquifer drop a single inch, um, you know, what's more resilient than that system. I, I can't think of another system that's more resilient than that when we look at, you know, this last year and what the Mississippi River did. Um, and, um, you know, so I'm, I'm rambling here a little bit, but my, I'm, I'm very excited to have a rep representative from the Met Council to um, help us uh, make sure that that train doesn't get on the wrong track and doesn't just start rolling before we even have our say. Um, and I, I think initially, you know, I was very hesitant to even want the Met Council involved in water issues at all, because traditionally they have not been. They, they're a sewer organization and then a planning organization. I would say sewer first, planning second. And they've done a nice job with sewer. And they've mixed reviews on planning, I would say. Um, but, uh, you know, we were hoping they would stay out of water issues to, you know, when I say we, I mean, uh, a lot of people in the engineering community. Um, but I, I do applaud the whole idea of these regional systems, or regional meetings, I should say, and regional policies. It just makes sense if you look at a map of the metro, what we pull out of the ground here in terms of water has nothing to do with what they do in Prior Lake. There's just absolutely no connection whatsoever. And so the idea that the two of us, the two communities, should have anything to do with the same, having the same policy is just ludicrous. Um, it's different for sewer. We all come to the same, believe it or not, Prior Lake and, goes down to Forest, the and Forest Lake all come <laughs> down to the same sewage plant. So we all have a stake in that, right? But this issue, water, clean drinking water, is <laughs> just different from place to place. And I'm glad we have regional, even that might need a smaller regions within that because we're in a region with other people who are under a mandate to do different things than we are, and so. Um, so it's it's just follow yeah. up on that real quick. Is the legislature has mandated that the Met Council actually do water supply, um, but Mossack is the one 
that organization of the public water utilities, uh, watershed districts, councils, they're the ones that actually approve the water supply plan. The Met Council does not do that. And they've got a 20-person technical advisory committee on top of that. So the Met Council is the governing body, but they're not the one that actually approves the actual water supply plan. However, input, you know, there's plans, there's comments, all of those things. And the White Bear Lake groundwater study is also a legislated, mandated um, work group that's going to be looking at the effects of water and water supply and water quality over the next three and a half years. And they are looking to, again, the Met Council is a convening body, and they are looking to hire a facilitator for that. Um, but they've... Um, but what they've done is you, people are like, and I know that Brian and Hugo, you know, it's what comes first, the chicken or the egg for him or for Lake Elmo. You've got maybe water issues with the White Bear Lake, and you've got water supply. Well, there's room going forward. We're going to get the water supply plan going, 2024, 2025. The regional development work group gets done. The 2027 is when the White Bear Lake study gets done. And there may be some differences, so things may have to get amended. But it doesn't mean that things can't get amended, can't be looked at. And I think you will probably be out of that issue, but other communities, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And then comprehensive, um, your next comprehensive plan is has to be written by 2028. So for those communities who are affected by that, and on top of it, the communities that are affected by the White Bear Lake are now you know, negotiating, their, um, negotiating with the DNR to get their appropriations. So um, be thankful you're at 5.1. Um, and, uh, and so so it's a challenge to keep everything straight. And so if there's questions, please call me, please ask me. Um, please, um, we'll go, I'll send you a bunch of links to go find out where the MOSAC and the TAB is and all of those things so you can make sure that you're keeping up with it. And then we do have a lot of committees. Um, and so if you're interested in serving on a Met Metropolitan Council committee, we'd welcome that as well. Um, so lot to keep straight, but I'm honored to be able to use my expertise and 30 years of experience to try and help the communities go through that. So I'm on the Environment Committee, and I'm on the Management Committee. Um, so those are my two big, and I'm on the Clean Water Council, and so I know that Clean Water Council funds uh, watershed districts and other water projects, and so working with your watershed district to try and get money from the Clean Water Fund would be a good thing to do as well for, for things like that. Um, All right. Well, we'll see if council has any comments or questions. We're going to start with our junior council member, Avery. Avery, any comments or questions? I don't know. I mean, it all sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Right? Thanks for coming and sharing that with us tonight. I don't have any questions. Ross? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I've got a, a couple about um, <clears throat> on transportation, and you know, there's been some 
talk to the media and the news, and I know you're kind of new at this, but you know, with the um, the cost of the light rail going to Eden Prairie and it's over budget and those kind of things. Um, at what point do, does the Met Council look at that and and say that's really not a feasible plan? And when you go over budget, how do you compensate for that? I mean, what do you do? Um, and do you look back on that and say, I mean, was this the right decision to make? And I know other councils did that, Met Councils did that, but you know, I just have some thoughts or questions about that because they're it, it makes the news once in a while, and, and there's a lot of money well, being spent there. It makes the, the news a lot. <laughs> and um, so the Southwest Light Rail extension of the Green Line will be built, will be completed. I mean, there's the, all the money's been appropriated, the budget is there, the federal money is, is there. Um, the issue is additional lines like the Blue Line and the bus rapid transit lines in the metro. Um, and now they've set up uh, management control boards to look any time <coughs> that there's a uh, in, you know contractor comes back and wants a change order. Um, it's not the project office that is going to be looking at that. There's an independent change board that will be a Met Council people, an independent person, and the um, county person. And if they don't get a vote from every of those three bodies, then the change order won't be made. So they're making some project officers, some change control boards issues. What I'm seeing is, um, if you look at the metro, you got the outskirts of, I call them the outburbs. So, you know, it's outburbs, Dakota County, Carver County. You know, a lot of communities are paying into the transit tax. And so another one of my goals is to think about how and what kind of transit might be needed. I mean, the Forest Lake um, transit station hasn't going to be reopened. And there, I've gotten a lot of calls about express buses to St. Paul and express buses to Minneapolis. So it's like all this money, you're right, being spent on light rail. What kind of transit are we going to need up here for 5, 10, 20, 30 years to get commuters in? So they have, to get back to your question, they have made changes to how they're going to manage these projects. And if you look at the Met Council meetings, there's more and more council members asking harder questions, voting no against things, and demanding more transparency. So you're right. I'm coming in after, and I'm one of those kind of pushy people that says, I can't vote on this, I don't have the information. Yeah, and I guess my concern is because there's, there's a lot of money being spent there, and could we be using that money somewhere else to make sure we have clean water? I, you know, I don't know, because I mean, resources are limited, right? And I don't think the Met Council has anything to do with the rail going, a proposed rail going from here to Duluth, for example. Right. In a lot of respects, that sounds appealing. Um, but I don't understand that either because it didn't work in the past. Now we're going to do it again, and then you get to Duluth, which is my hometown area. What are you going to do when you get there? You know, so I, so I have a hard time. I struggle, and I like the concepts, and I like the idea. We need to change, get better, more efficient, and, and have services. But, my gosh, sometimes you look at the money being thrown at these things, and, I, and I'm just like, is that really the best we can do with it? And, and um, then I wanted to ask you about... Um, sewer rates. So, um, <clears throat> as we talk about water, we talk about the sewer discharge and so on, and 
Um, is there a trend there for that? I mean, at some point we got to pay for all these things too. And I'm only I'm, I'm going to make an assumption that over time, in the next 10 years, sewer rates are going to be increasing somewhat to um, pay for some of these projects too. Well, um, so the sewer rates, it's really interesting, is um, they have built-in budgets. And your sewer rates and what you pay in sewer charges can only go to fund wastewater treatment plants, upgrades, capital projects. None of that money is spent anyplace else within the Met Council. Okay? So that is a self-funded project. So nothing is being skimmed off of the sewer rates to go to transportation or to go someplace else. So there's some you know, contingency in there, but it's very, very well managed. Um, and so the rates may go up, but what's happening is there's some communities that are, have small wastewater treatment plants that are being hooked in to the, to the metro area, uh, Met Council wastewater treatment system, because we can manage it better. And so, um, you know, if you have a development that's an offshoot and you have to put 25 miles of, you know, interceptor trench down, that would cost it and may increase your rates. Or a new development, they pay SAC charges to pay for it. So you have to get that money up front from the developments. But overall, and this is, I should, I, I'll find this figure, there's, uh, there's the low end and the high end of wastewater treatment charges. So from zero to, say, 100. So the metro area is, is in the bottom third nationwide of the money that you spend on wastewater charges. Because in the 70s, they were forward thinking, and they said, let's take the rainwater out of the sewer water. So they did all that investment. But there are still towns that never separated rainwater from sewer water, and they are paying three, four, five times the charges that you're paying. So... So yes, I can't. I don't have a crystal ball, right. but your money is tightly controlled from sewer charges. It does not go anyplace else. And the one other question I had on the water, and I mean, it sounds like an appealing idea, um, taking water out of the Mississippi. Maybe it would resolve or solve. I don't know. Um, but I remember being from the Duluth area. There was a time and there was talk about pumping um, water out of Lake Superior. Let's ship it down to Arizona, right? I mean, so, and that is, is ludicrous, right? I mean, that just, so at what point do we, if we start, if we were to go to the Mississippi um, and in a drought year kind of thing and that river is down, I mean, that's not just affecting our area, right? I'm, I'm thinking about people in states down river, you know, and you start, Hey, Minnesota's taking all that water and all the rivers drying up. You know what I mean? It just causes more issues, just kind of like a big domino effect. And well, and that's what my feeling too is, is we don't want to see water wars in the metro, you know? Um, so, so as part of the White Bear Lake study, you know, part of that is to look at surface water connection. Um, but what comes, in, what comes into play are equity in the sense of paying for that. So 
all the townships who are affected by that White Bear Lake legislation all talked about, okay, you, you want to connect us up, who's paying for it? You know, we already have well water, we already have infrastructure. Your rates go up twice, three times. The treatment's different. So th that's all going to be flushed out of the next couple of years. And so it's going to yeah. be it's very complicated. And so keep your eye on Yeah, and I could just it's, see some state in a very dry couple of years or something, we're going to sue Minnesota because they're taking all the water out of the Mississippi. You know what I mean? I just don't know how that helps us. That right, and that's and that's where I do a lot of pondering as well. So Russ, you're on my list to call <laughs> up and ponder together because <laughs> a lot of people are pondering about this and trying to wrap their arms around it because it's very complex. And to you know to look at what's happening in you know Lake Como and Oakdale and Woodbury is they've got water, but now it's contaminated with PFAS. So now they have to build treatment plants. So there's 3M settlement money, but it's going to be pretty much gone. So then who's going to fund that? It, it's, yeah, I mean this, I liken this, and what I've told, it's public, what I tell people at the Met Council is, you know, the west side of town, you've got the blue line and the green line. For this part of the metro, this is our blue line, green line, is water. This is, you know, something to be elevated in the risk management and to be talked about at a higher level. So I'm the, I'm a very noisy voice in the Met Council to talking about this, to say, okay, you have your big transit issues, the money issues with transit. This water is the big issue over here between District 11 and 12 and, and things like that. And this, you know, if we don't really watch this and talk about it and flush it out, so to speak, and always be talking about it, you know, this could go sideways fast. And my goal is to inform everybody, be fully transparent. The staff has been really good job at engaging from the bottom up, getting people's comments. Um, so it is not us pushing what we think should be done, it's getting everybody's voices involved. Uh, Representative Cedarberg, thank you very much. Mayor, thank you very much. Darren? <clears throat> I got a couple of questions. It's uh, been a great information you've given. A um, couple of things with that transit and stuff like that. Um, not that I have a camera on those uh, trains and stuff, but the ones that I've seen have had little to no occupancy. And what would make it... Is there a demand for this that they need to make more um, light rail systems, like more stations? Is there that much of a demand for well, it? Well, in March we're going to have the ridership numbers and the projections. There are some times of day. So what's happened with COVID is there used to be a commute time, two commute times. The trains were always full. And then, you know, you'd have, you know, during the day there'd be fewer riders. Now people are, are working all the time, so the population is dispersed over the ridership. Some lines, and I don't have the correct numbers for buses or whatever, are almost back to normal, and some are not. So it's the time of day you hit, and so now 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock are sometimes busier than 5 and 6 o'clock. Sometimes 11 o'clock is busy. Um, but... We just had a meeting, a Met Council meeting today, and they talked about when are we going to get the next ridership. 
information and projections so we can make decisions as to what we should be doing. And without the ridership numbers and the projections, we have to kind of wait till early March for that. And with what, and with what that costs, would it be more effective to put uh, bus transit on there, even if you had reduced rates or whatever, or even free? Because that's expensive, that way. Well, and if you look at most of the other, um, like the Gold Line, which goes from Woodbury into downtown St. Paul, that's a bus rapid transit. That's a bus line. Purple Line from downtown St. Paul to White Bear Lake is a bus route. So they're, they are seeing that the buses are more effective for a lot of people. They have more stops on them, closer to within walking distance. And so if you look at the whole build-out of the new, a lot of other lines, there are a lot more bus lines. Yeah. So yes. And then I got a uh, housing census question. I'll probably email you. With, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I can. I, I, I just death. we just learned about the census data and where it's posted on the on the web. Well, I'll ask you if you want to. Sure. I'm wondering how they. Uh, I'm on the police governing board too, okay. so I got uh, um, like apartments. How do they take census from apartments? One of the reasons is is because we picked up a bigger cost this year because. Uh, population numbers and things like that yeah, and, and uh, they've had some additional apartments put up and I think they met council council as a one bedroom is a one person two bedroom is two yeah. people and that's clearly not the case because our school numbers They're are way up, up. so okay. I'm wondering how they tabulate that how right. the census how the census actually tabulates comes it. in with that uh, correct I, I have somebody i can ask i'll send an email tomorrow morning okay thanks yeah terry oh, i don't have any questions all right well it all comes down to me so really the the comment that i'll, I'll start off with is you know when it, when you gave us the map and you said hey we're what did you call us outburbs Something like that. You know, I thought to myself. It's not a negative thing. No, no, it's fine. Okay, okay. But we're unique, you yes. know, and, and I'm sure every city you go to says they're unique. But we are. We are a unique city, and we're a really great city, um, steeped in tradition. I mean, Centerville gets its name because we're halfway between Stillwater and Anoka. Yep. I mean, so that, that just tells you right Lots there. Of history. We're, we're in the middle of things. Um, first question I have for you, though, is about population. A little bit different question. Um, and our community is very engaged in the census. I think we're, if not one, we were, see, yes, oh, we were very in high okay. in, the, in the use of the census. So I was all excited to see that our population grew a little bit because we built a lot yep. of houses and things of that nature. And then we dipped. So I, oh. I, was, I was a little pouty, I admit it. Uh, but Mark is the only one that knew about it, maybe him and my wife. Um, and really, we dipped because the average household number went down. So I, I'm yeah. just curious how that how that really works. So I mean, same. Yep. Okay. Yeah, a little different, but yep. very specific for us. Um, the next the next question I had, and really, I mean, I thought Ray would ask it because she threw this idea out there earlier, <laughs> and I thought since we're talking She's 20 on this side, though. Go ahead. Uh, it's, it's still yours. Uh, we're talking 2050 and we're talking big audacious ideas. And she asked the question, 
hey, what is the possibility for us to have an entrance ramp just north of Centerville um, getting on to 35W and how that could potentially increase the traffic counts in our city, which would then help us mm -hmm. grow. And obviously, you know, growth and economic development is huge for us in a, a small city of this size. So I thought, man, if we're going to throw big ideas, ideas out, I'm going to still raise. I'm going to throw it out there, but I'll give her credit for it. So um, transportation 2050, yep. who knows? Not, not saying you have to answer now, but we're going to And I don't know what Met Council has to do, you know, with the interstate and all of those things, but I do know... You're absolutely right, getting oh, yeah, some other... Well, I wrote transportation down as you yep. were talking, yep. so I, I no, heard you. No. I was listening. But, you know, sure yes, you combination and how we can work with MnDOT and, and all of those things to, to put those out. Perfect. Um, because it is the plan to grow and to thrive, and to grow and thrive the way Centerville uniquely wants to have it happen. Exactly. So then my final comment is, I heard how much you like the outdoors. I hope we see you back this summer oh. enjoying our lakes and trails. It's a beautiful area to be in. Well, and, well, and yes, we used to come, come up here a lot, actually, to, to hunt, and my husband would take my daughter squirrel hunting and things. Um, no hunting now, but you can I'm fish all you want. But we, had, we would stop, they'd stop in Centerville to get snacks. You know, okay, so. all right. That <laughs> so works. they would be spending snacks. money in Centerville. We like that. Um, but if you have any festivals or you know outreach or meet and greets or you know Hugo right. has Hugo days and Stillwater has Lumberjack days and please yeah, you put me on the calendar and the list for that mm -hmm. and then I can come up and see you all again and and just get to know more of your community <laughs> because I love those kind of events because you see how everybody interacts and you get a real sense of the community by doing that. We have a week-long festival called Pet the Locks, and we'd love to have that. Oh, okay. Now I can't spend all week, maybe. No, no. <laughs> we'll get you in the parade. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we have the Cadillac dinner, then you could concentrate your attention on it. <laughs> now we have ideas. Suddenly everyone That's has ideas. Fine. That's fine. That's great. <laughs> I am an idea person to where... You know, you got to put ideas out there. And then you can look to go, but this idea is really related to this idea. And unless you put them out there, you can't actually see how they're maybe related, even tangentially, to bundle them together or to see who can help you. So nothing's off the table with me. I might not be able to do it for you or get, you know, but I can, I'm an idea person too. Love it. Well, thank you so much for coming out this evening. Great, great. I'm going to stay for the next talk, but then maybe I'll bug out. Is that okay? Or would you like me to stay for the full council meeting? It's um, totally up to you. Yes. I, before we're done, I just, because of a couple of the comments you had made since I went first, um, <laughs> I just, I want to uh, say thank you about what you were saying about development and improvement of public transportation, because I know um, from the junior council member perspective, that's important for a lot of young people when it comes to developing city life and interaction with suburbs and outburbs, yep. as you said. Um, so yeah, just thank you from like that perspective and your interest. Because in we're having, I mean, we had, and actually any chance you have a, a chance for your population and to represent, we could have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But Dakota County with Inver Hills Community College, I mean, unless their parents drive them someplace, they don't have transportation. Mm -hmm. 
and it's you know the roads aren't necessarily safe to bike on I mean you know it's anyway so you're not alone in having thinking about those things and that was brought to the council and and kind of got us so I'm sorry I lumped Centerville into the outburbs. I see. Oh, no. <laughs> Please don't take that as, was a, as, a, you totally. as, as I was like, oops. I'm still, you know, new no. to this where I have to be careful not to insult anybody. <laughs> um, but um, so, so yeah, I mean, that would be something we could talk about. You come to the council learn about. Um, do that, so. I was okay. totally teasing. Okay, that's good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. All right, next on our agenda, we have another presentation from Rice Creek Watershed District. And I'm sure, Matt, I'm going to butcher your last name, so I'm just going to allow you to say it when you get up to the podium. <laughs> yep, Koshin, Matt Koshin. I wouldn't have gotten it, so. But nobody ever does. Yeah. Yes. Yes, uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, council members, thank you very much for having me here today. Uh, my name is Matt Koshin. I'm with the Rice Creek Watershed District, and I'm here to talk about Centerville Lake. Uh, I've got some slides to share. I see Mark is bringing them up here. Um, so I was going to run through these. Uh, some of these might look familiar. I was here, I think, about a year and a half ago to Isn't talk about long? this. I think yeah. it was that long, Sheesh. actually. But a lot has happened since then. Mm -hmm. um, so some of these slides might look familiar, but then I've got some updated information here. Uh, and then, of course, happy to take any questions when it's all done. Uh, so again, there's my name, Matt Koshin. I'm with Rice Creek Watershed District. I'm the lake and stream manager, which means... I do water quality monitoring, so I'm actually personally out on Centerville Lake frequently collecting water samples, um, and then I do water quality improvement projects. And when I say water quality, it's the next slide, <clears throat> this is the condition that I'm talking about. So water quality might refer to drinking water, um, mercury, uh, PFAS, things like that. Uh, when I say water quality, I'm talking about nutrients in lakes and algae blooms. Um, these are some pictures from Centerville Lake. Uh, either this last year or the year before. That is a really, really bad algae bloom in Centerville Lake. Um, Peltier Lake has some uh, that are similar or, or just as bad, but uh, this is a bad condition. So that's what I'm here to talk about tonight. Um, this is an unacceptable condition in any one of our lakes, an algae bloom like this. Uh, we've been working on it the past few years and I'm here to share some good news. Um, so first off, just a couple of background slides about this issue. Um, these algae blooms are really driven by phosphorus. I think I talked about this the last time I was here, but mm -hmm. phosphorus is like algae food. You add more phosphorus, you get more algae. So that begs the question, where does the phosphorus come from? Uh, it can come from many different non-point sources on the landscape, like suburban development and stormwater. It can come uh, from cropland and animal feedlots. Um, so collectively, we think of that as a watershed phosphorus load. It's coming from the landscape around the lake and draining into the lake can also be recycled once it's inside the lake. So the sediments, and that's that picture on the right-hand side there, the sediments inside the lake can actually recycle phosphorus and, and spit out phosphorus, if you will, uh, back up into the lake. And that's the, that's the condition that we have uh, happening in Centerville Lake here. Um, I, I, I touched upon this a little bit the last time I was here, but um, internal phosphorus loading or phosphorus coming out of the sediments in Centerville Lake is really driving a lot of the algae blooms that you're seeing there. Um, so when the lake stratifies in the summer, that's when you get warmer water at the top, colder water at the bottom. You can have phosphorus coming up out of those sediments. Next slide. So what we did to determine this on Centerville Lake 
Uh, and we looked at all the other phosphorus sources too, that watershed load coming from stormwater, coming from agricultural sources. We looked at those possible sources, and then we also went out on Centerville Lake and collected these sediment cores. So we can actually drop a device down into the bottom of the lake and collect a core of sediment, measure the amount of phosphorus in it, and that tells us the magnitude of that problem, of that recycling problem inside of Centerville Lake. What we found was that uh, internal phosphorus recycling, or internal loading we call it, uh, comprises the majority of the phosphorus load, or the, the total budget there with, with the uh, uh, pie on the left-hand side. Uh, internal phosphorus loading comprises the largest portion of, of that. So roughly 47% of all of the phosphorus to the lake is just coming out of the sediments in the bottom of the lake. Um, that's what those sediment cores told us. And if I could interject my, I love this pie chart because it really tells, <coughs> um, and it tells an important um, story here as well, which is, I wish there was one more pie chart which showed the, the same set of inputs here 20 years ago before we put a rain garden in Russ's front yard, um, you know, did a, a stormwater reuse. You want to interject in my No, you can continue, okay. but I'll add to it. It's a, it's a great point. So, yep. That blue, I'll call it blue, I'm a little colorblind, but the blue part there where it says watershed, 28%, that is probably down from something larger than that 20 years ago because of all those efforts we made. Um, again, our stormwater reuse system in Lamont Park is a huge part of that. All the storm ponds and all the rain gardens and all the filtration basins and everything we've done, reduce that down to 28%. Could we get that 28% down to zero? Uh, feasibly, no. Could we get it down lower than 28%? Um, I would say not much more without this, the, the curve on cost uh, being exponential, right? So um, we could build a treatment plant at the, at the outlet of every uh, stream that comes in, you know, but that's not, you know, financially feasible. And so what we've done is we've, we've squeezed the blood out of the turnip, um, and there's no more left to be squeezed. And in, in terms of what we can get out of the watershed um, loading, and so it doesn't mean that the internal loading was more before, or, or, or less before, and it has increased. It was always the same amount, but the percentage of it is now to the spot where it's the dominant factor in why Pelter Centerville Lake is phosphorus loaded, why it's polluted, quote unquote. So we've done what we can to reduce the watershed, which is the responsible thing to do, right? To stop stuff coming in. And, and we're now to the point where we gotta solve this uh, salmon colored problem here. And that, that is, not salmon? You're doing great. Okay, You're right. great. <laughs> uh, th that's the problem we gotta solve. And um, the solution we're gonna hear about tonight doesn't feel feel good to a lot of people because it, it doesn't feel like a permanent solution but um, I assure you it is the right solution um, for the for the only problem we really have left that's feasible to, to work on so we can't stop the atmosphere from depositing phosphorus uh, so we're, we're left with um, Peltier Lake backflow <laughs> and I just explained our watershed issue and um, you know that was an important part of the study too is the Pelter Lake backflow? Maybe Matt will get to a little, that a little bit more. But 
I, I can tell yeah, thanks, Mark. I 100% agree with what you just said there. Uh, in fact, we have uh, another pie chart that looks like this one that represents what it used to look like prior to all the efforts that the city of Centerville has done over the last 20 years. I think I touched upon that the last time I was here with these slides. I'm kind of cutting to the chase with the project that we're going to next, but that's an absolutely uh, uh, accurate statement that you meant. Um, that, that blue part of the pie used to, the watershed load used to take up a bigger part of it. But because of the efforts of the city of Centerville, uh, Anoka County Parks has put a number of projects, the big reuse project that you mentioned, you shrunk that down. You reduced a lot of the watershed load a lot. And that's fantastic. But yeah, like I said, I'm kind of cutting to the chase here with uh, where we're going with our next project. And that is to address that internal phosphorus loading, that recycling that's happening inside the lake. Um, I believe this came up the last time I was here. We're thinking about a project like this. I mentioned, probably mentioned the words, Alum. I think there was somebody from the Centerville Lake Association pushing toward a project like this. Uh, the technical data and the information that we have is suggesting this is the right route. This is a good project and it is the right thing to do. So to address internal phosphorus loading, the most commonly used tool is aluminum sulfate or alum. It is a chemical that binds phosphorus uh, so that algae can't use it anymore. It kind of like locks it up in the bottom of the lake so it makes it unavailable for algae to use. Um, we are moving ahead with an alum project, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but I will note that an alum project was done previously on Centerville Lake in 1998. Uh, the watershed district uh, did that at the time. From all the records that we have, uh, everything suggests that that was a very light or low-dose alum treatment done at the time and no longer serving any purpose at this point. That was done 25 years ago. Uh, it's, it's past its lifespan and it's no longer serving any purpose. Um, thanks. Yeah, so what is alum? I'll talk just a little bit about this. Aluminum sulfate or alum is a chemical. Um, once it is applied to a lake, it, it transforms in, into aluminum hydroxide, uh, creates kind of like this, this milky substance that you see over on the left-hand side here, which quickly settles out to the bottom of the lake. And that's what we want. We want it to settle quickly and get down into the, the bottom of the lake, those lake sediments, so it can lock up all of that phosphorus, again, to halt those uh, algae blooms. Now, alum, or aluminum sulfate, is used widely. You're talking about... Um, drinking water uh, treatment plants earlier, drinking water issues. Alum is used extensively in drinking water treatment plants to purify water. Um, it's actually, I just learned about this here, it's actually used in baking applications. You can actually buy alum on the shelf at the grocery store. Yep. It's used in an, uh, it's, it's an active ingredient in an over-the-counter um, antacid, Maalox. Actually, alum is the active ingredient in that. So that's, it, it can do multiple things, but uh, it's been used many times in lakes in Minnesota, including uh, Centerville Lake. I think on the last slide I had a picture of Bald Eagle Lake also. Uh, the Watershed District did a, a large uh, alum treatment on Bald Eagle Lake a um, number of years ago. Uh, so alum commonly used in lakes for this purpose. Uh, it's very stable in the environment. Um, yeah, I think we can jump to the next slide from there. Touched upon this last time I, that I was here, this is expensive. Uh, we were estimating, uh, the last time I was here, I was estimating it was going to be around a million dollars. Um, now we're estimating about 1.1. At the time uh, that I was here last, uh, the Watershed District was thinking about setting up a water management district, which is a special tax district used to fund large capital projects. 
When we did the Bald Eagle Lake alum treatment, the, the, the treatment that we worked on a few years ago in Bald Eagle Lake, we, we did this. We set up a water management district, a special tax district, to fund part of it. But uh, one thing that changed between the Bald Eagle project and now is that uh, alum treatments became eligible for clean water grant funds. I heard the clean water grant mentioned earlier. That's great. The watershed district applies for clean water fund grants uh, regularly. We've been fairly successful in getting them. Um, and on the next slide, I'm very happy to report, I think it's on the next slide. Drum roll. Drum roll. <laughs> is, is this the time for the drum roll? Very happy to report that the watershed district applied for and received a clean water fund grant, $954,500. Very large uh, grant. It's the second largest that they gave out this year. I think they gave out a million dollar grant this year. This was the second largest. Uh, and now we are planning to proceed with this project. So. The timeline that we have for this project is fairly aggressive. We just got notice of grant approval uh, in December, uh, just this last year. Right now we're working through uh, grant agreements and grant planning and things like that with the Board of Water and Soil Resources. They're the state agency that administers these grants. But we're working as quickly as we can because uh, we're hoping to, be, to do the first treatment just this coming spring, which is rapidly approaching. Um, I'll note there at the bottom that um, typically, what's done now with alum treatments is that you'll take the total dose and you'll split that up into multiple treatments done over several years. In this case, uh, we're proposing to split the total dose into two treatments, one in the spring of 2024 and another in the spring of 2026. That is our plan right now. I, I think I've already said it, but that's an aggressive timeline. Uh, if that for some reason that doesn't work out, we have uh, alternatives available to us. We could potentially think about fall of 2024 or move it ahead a full year and do it in the spring of 2025. But right now, the timeline is 2024 and 2026. A couple of other notes about Allen. Uh, people do ask a lot of questions about safety, what are the risks here. I'm not an ecotoxicologist. I can't go too deep in that. I can say that alum is used very commonly in lakes the risks uh, that come along with alum are very, very low. There are no restrictions on swimming and fishing. There's no restrictions on boating. And in fact, perhaps this is telling, uh, we as the watershed district to apply it are not required to get a permit from the DNR or the pollution control agency. Uh, we are estimating that the longevity of this project should be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 years. I think on the, on the outer end we had uh, 22 years, but that's the range that we're putting on it right now. Um, when we apply alum, you'll notice that the water will be noticeably clearer almost immediately. This is not the type of project that's, that takes many years or decades to start working. Water clarity will be there right away. Another very important uh, note that I'm telling all of our partners, and I want to highlight here, is that that clearer water will mean more plants in the lake. Right now there are some invasive species uh, in Centerville Lake and in Peltier Lake. There's currently pondweed, there's Eurasian water milfoil. Um, those we can still manage in the future. There's many other native aquatic plants uh, that are healthy, required for a healthy lake ecosystem, and with clearer water there will be more plants. We're telling that to homeowners because homeowners that might live on a shallow shoreline are going to see more plants on their shoreline. Um, from our perspective, that's absolutely the sign of a healthy lake. There is no clear water lake that doesn't have plants. I mean, if you go to the, the boundary waters, maybe, uh, but in this part of the state, 
clear water means plants, and those two things go together, and that's what a healthy lake is all about. Uh, so here's, here's some shots of some other lakes in the area. I think a couple of photos from uh, Otter Lake, not too far away from here, and Howard Lake. Um, these are some native plants, uh, flat stem pondweed on the left. I think the upper right might be uh, coontail, um, perhaps some cara in the center photo uh, there. Those are all native plants, plants that we're hoping, expecting to grow in Centerville Lake. I've got some photos of what the alum treatment will look like. Uh, this is, these are some photos from Bald Eagle Lake. I keep referencing Bald Eagle Lake. That was done in 2014 and 16, two treatments. Um, this is what the setup looks like during the application. There are tanks on the shore to store the product, the uh, aluminum sulfate. Uh, the alum is then transfer, uh, transferred onto that barge and then applied over the deeper areas of the lake. Uh, so deeper areas of the lake, that means 10 feet or deeper. It's not uh, applied on shorelines. It's applied in the deeper parts of the lake because that's where the phosphorus is coming up and out of the sediments, the deeper part of the lake. Uh, there's just a shot of what the application barge looks like on the water, uh, and there's what it looks like as the alum flock is uh, it's transforming from aluminum sulfate into aluminum hydroxide, and then it sinks fairly rapidly. Uh, an alum treatment takes about one to two weeks. An alum treatment of this size would take about one to two weeks. All right, now back to the financial side of things. Uh, the district was awarded this large grant, $954,000. We're anticipating that the grant is going to cover somewhere between 85 to 90% of the total project cost. Uh, once, we, once the Watershed District was awarded this grant, our board made the decision to not pursue the Water Management District, the Special Tax District, at this time. Um, the homeowners, you know, were in favor of that at the time, but now that we're able to get this grant, we're not, at this time, we're not pursuing the Water Management District. But the Watershed District is seeking financial partnership from all of the partners around Centerville Lake. And on the next slide, I break that down. But the partners are uh, us, of course, the Rice Creek Watershed District, Anoka County, uh, the City of Lionel Lakes, and the City of Centerville. This is the proposed uh, breakdown that our board has discussed. Uh, again, the Clean Water Fund grant is, is funding the vast majority of this. Um, and then I break it down by percentages after that. Where the Watershed District is covering roughly 5%, and then each of the other project partners would contribute roughly uh, the same amount, about 3% of the project cost. Now, I'm showing the dollar amounts here. I think, I'm, I'm hoping that those are going to be the maximum dollar amounts. It's, it's, ex, it's expressed in a percentage because uh, should the cost be lower than that, then the project partners are paying for that percentage, if that makes sense. I believe that might be the end of my slides. I ran through all of that really quickly, knowing that there are lots of other things going on here tonight, but I'm happy to go back to any of the slides, answer any questions that you have about alum. I'll make a, a final note uh, that I'm having uh, meeting similar to this with the other project partners. Uh, met with Anoka County already, expect to meet with them again. Uh, we'll be meeting with the City of Lionel Lakes starting next Wednesday. Um, the Watershed District is going to be doing a fairly robust outreach effort with this. So we're reaching out to all of our partners, but then directly to Lakeshore homeowners. There's going to be mailings. Uh, we're going to be holding a public meeting. Uh, we have our website, so if, if homeowners uh, come to the city with questions, you can direct them to our website. We have a frequently asked questions document. I think I sent this to you already, but I got some extra copies if you want it. Um, 
and yeah, that's what I had. Thank you so much again for allowing me to be here. Well, thank you, Matt. This was great news. Um, we, we had some inklings of it, so it's good to hear it um, directly from you. And we'll see if council has any questions or comments. I started on my left last time, so let's start on the right here with Councilmember Sweeney. No questions about this. I just, you know, I always heard that when they shut down the uh, um, pump and all that up here that they, um, St. Paul came up and plugged artesian wells that were in the lake. Is that something that happened? I mean, what's... Yeah, Council and Riot, I've heard those rumors as well, but I, I can't say that I've heard um, anything with any certainty along those lines. Because I was wondering if that had any kind of effect on the water quality, because I moved up here in, in um, 1989, mm -hmm. and I remember going to the lake with my kids when they were little and fishing, and that lake was always clean and cold. Mm -hmm. And in the last 20 years, it's obviously hasn't been clean, and it's not cold. So I was wondering if, it, if that was something that the St. Paul um, water utility had done and if it was something that would affect the water quality and, and affect the lake itself. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure about <coughs> whether or not they plugged up all the artesian wells, how many they were, the volume of each of those. I can say with certainty that the water quality in Centerville Lake has been steadily degrading and getting worse, I think, prior to any of those things happening. Uh, our monitoring program was showing phosphorus levels and algae levels becoming elevated prior to that happening. That's not to say that there's not some uh, effect there, but I don't have the details on, on that. Yeah. It's an interesting theory, Councilmember Sweeney, and, and I, you know, Paul Paulser, who's been around here a long time too, has floated the same idea in front of me, and um, I think to Matt's point, it, it is tough to quantify, right? I mean, I think I don't know that the, the um, St. Paul Water necessarily went out and did this purposefully um, in in great numbers, but I, I do know that there are private property owners around that have done this, um, or or as they abandon um, their properties, they were it was done. Um, you know, I, I think the groundwater system maybe has changed a bit too. You know, uh, it could be that there's less artesian pressure, that does change over time as well. Um, you saw the Hidden Spring Park, um, you know, I remember sitting here and having Tom Lee, a <laughs> former council member, tell me, why didn't, why is that well not going as strong as it used to? And you know, that was all my fault. <laughs> um, you know, so th there's, there are um, a lot of questions there, and I, I, I do think it is worth looking at again in terms of whether or not trying to reestablish some of those would be good for the water quality. If it was a fairly cheap endeavor, right? Um, no, no reason that would, you know, I would think that that would be a good thing. You could have artesian water flowing into the lake. Yeah, because like, I've been here 35 years, and you know, I know this is, you know, talking about 20 years ago, and but prior to that, like I said, and it was prior to a lot of the development that's gone on here. But like I said, I would take my kids down there fishing and. You always caught crappies, you caught sunfish, you caught, you know, a walleye here and there. But like I said, if you went swimming in the lake, it was cold. And, you know, as my kids got older and, you know, we went to the lake isn't cold anymore. You know, it, it's almost like there's a, there's a temperature differential that's, that's happened also with the lake. The only other thing I might add there is that um, 
Well, I think the watershed district is open to discussing those things, talking more with the city, talking with St. Paul Water Services. Um, at least at first glance, I'm seeing that as a variable that we might not have any control over. And, and that, 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 that very well could be, yeah. but it's, I mean, it, it's always something that since the, the quality of the lake has deteriorated, people that have been around town for 20, 30 years constantly make the comments and ask the questions and sure. stuff like that, why? So, but it is interesting to know that that was done in 1998. I didn't know that. Thank you. Well, that's a million-dollar yeah. question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would be good to get an answer from, I think. I don't know how you find that stuff out. Yeah, I, I think, Councilmember Mosher, I, I don't think that there's any way that um, that that's going to clean up the lake. I mean, there was... In the oh, I'm not saying it's going to take care of it. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying, yeah. you know, to have uh, fresh water coming in there might right. help it a little bit. Right, right. You I mean, know. obviously, we did something in 1998. 30 or 25 years ago, right? So that problem, the problem with phosphorus in a lake is, is not new. Right. And, um, but yeah, certainly, I mean, I, I, I think it is worth investigating because it, it could be a fairly simple addition to what we're doing for water quality. Yeah, I mean, if it helps mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, a question I have, um, so you said earlier they put down a light dose. Mm -hmm. um, in comparison, you said, did they do that in two intervals too, or was that all one shot? The 1998 dose was one shot. Okay. Uh, I think they applied roughly, just to put it into perspective, it was 19 grams of aluminum per meter squared, and we're talking about doing 75. Oh. So it's a lot, it's a lot more. Huge. 75 <laughs> at once, or no, 75 split in two? Into two, yes. Okay, okay. Yep. That's kind of why I was asking the question. When you said light, I thought maybe they did one. And, and uh, is there any, um, I guess the best way I can ask the question is, uh, when I was little, I had a fish tank, and I had this little thing that stuck to the side that was supposed to clean the tank, you know, a little better. Is there any species out there that help clean this? And is it like carp? Maybe I don't know. I mean, I'm just no, carp are bad. No, I know they are. But I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Is there something out there that thrives on this stuff? You know. I mean, uh, actually, yes. Um, there are small microscopic creatures called zooplankton that eat algae. Uh, now, when a lake gets to the point of the condition that we've been seeing the past couple of years on Centerville Lake with the blue-green algae blooms, mm -hmm. those microscopic microscopic zooplankton they can't take care of that problem anymore. It's, it's too much algae for them to eat. Uh, in addition, you can get some of the, the blue-green or cyanobacteria uh, algae that can actually produce toxins, and so the, the little critters won't eat them. Uh, but when we do the alum treatment, I, I talked about the importance of aquatic plants being in the lake. Mm -hmm. Aquatic plants provide a refuge or a hiding place for those tiny little algae-eating zooplankton. Um, healthy shallow lakes in Centerville Lake, we would call a shallow lake. Healthy shallow lakes have plants and have lots of those zooplankton to eat the algae. And that's a reinforcing loop which maintains clear water in the lake. Once the plants are gone, the zooplankton, the algae, tiny algae eaters typically go with it. And that's when you can flip back to the algae dominated state. So the aquatic plants and the algae eaters go together. Okay. And then to um, uh, final question, I guess. 
You know, some times of the year it's worse than others. Like, oh my God, look at it's green out there. What is that from? Rain runoff of fertilizer. I, I, I don't know what that. Why does it appear to be worse some times of the summer than others? Sure, it, it it can be due to rainstorms. Less so in Centerville Lake because the watershed load has has been reduced. There's there's less nutrients running off into the lake after a heavy rainstorm. Okay. The warmer water that we've had the past few years with the record heat in the summer is conducive to algae growth. So warmer water, algae tend to grow faster and reproduce faster. Um, with a lake that has internal phosphorus loading like Centerville Lake, it's it's common to see algae blooms. Um, more frequently and more severe in late summer, so um, August, September, October. Um, I was actually here with a lake group. We were at, at, at the park in, I think it was mid or late September this past year. It was a horrible algae bloom. And that's typical of lakes that have internal loading um, because that's when all of the, the stored up phosphorus that's coming out of the sediment is, has really mixed throughout the entire lake. There's a few factors, yeah. Thanks for the question. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to go quick here. I'll try. Um, so uh, in your slide presentation, you're taking samples of the of the soil at the bottom of the lake, right? Mm -hmm. So in my line of thinking, too, along with Darren, um, does it matter what time of year you do that to know what levels of alum you got to put in there? Do you also sample the water, which dictates what how much you put in there? You addressed... Um, the side effects because it reminds me of watching a drug commercial on tv the side effects <laughs> will kill you and the drug might heal you i don't know but are there side effects to this and you d took care of that but to answer that question does it matter when and how you take samples out of the soil when you do it in the water uh, when we take the core samples of the soil in the bottom of the lake no it doesn't really matter the time of the year the, the, the chemistry doesn't vary that much for the for the type of testing that's done it doesn't matter that much. Um, the conditions in the water, of course, vary throughout the course of the year, and and it's actually the conditions in, the conditions in the water that dictate when we would do the alum treatment. So so I mentioned that we would be doing it in the in the spring of 24 and the spring of 26. That's that's what we hope to do. Um, you would it would never be advisable or it wouldn't be a good idea to do an alum treatment in the middle of the summer when there's an algae bloom going on. Um, because the goal of the alum is to, you want to get it down onto the lake sediments as quickly as possible. And if you're applying it during the middle of an algae bloom, the alum is getting used up, for lack of a better word, uh, coagulating around algae. Sure. Um, that's why we do it in the spring. But the, the sediment chemistry doesn't really change from spring, summer, winter, fall. So we got to keep doing this treatment. Doesn't this phosphorus, I know it's constantly getting replenished, but doesn't it have a shelf life? Doesn't it eventually get absorbed or break down down there? Or? The phosphorus doesn't break down. The phosphorus is elemental. Um, the, the idea with the alum is that once the phosphorus is, is bound up with the alum or, or the aluminum hydroxide, that it's a, a permanent binding action. It, it can no longer be released up into the lake. Uh, you mentioned that the phosphorus can be replenished, so there can be additional sources of phosphorus coming in from the watershed, of course. That's one of the reasons why we wouldn't consider this type of a tool for a lake that still has a large phosphorus load coming into it, like Peltier Lake. Um, Peltier Lake has a very large watershed, lots of nutrients coming in through multiple rivers. 
and so that that phosphorus is is replenishing faster than the alum can take it up and it just doesn't last very long versus in Centerville Lake there's not a lot coming in from outside of the lake it lasts a long time that's how we get to the 15 to 20 years so that was going to be one of my questions too why is Centerville Lake and not Beltier so that takes care of that one then carp are bad because they stir things up down there right and if I understand this correctly the carp are an invasive species um, would it help to get rid of some of them and is there something we could do to get rid of some of them to help would that help um, that is one another question I had and then um, oh um, so you mentioned aquatic plants I have a feeling the people who live in the lake are going to call them weeds but yeah, we'll call them <laughs> plants and just like I got a rain garden but sometimes because I grew up in northern Minnesota I want to call it a ditch but you know that's what they do so, um, but yeah, I, I just thought about getting rid of some of those carp and, and, um, and if we can do that, if that would help. And then maybe would it help at all if everybody in town went out with a couple of bottles of Maylocks and just kind of sprinkled <laughs> that in there, something like that. And, you know, we got one of the best weed inspectors in town <laughs> in the state, I'll tell you that right here. So he might be able to help. But, yeah, but I thought about the carp was something too if that would help. Yeah, thank you for that question. We actually did a carp population survey in 2022, did a little bit of additional work in 2023. That's another prerequisite to considering an alum treatment. Uh, I, I mentioned a couple of the others looking at the watershed load. Looking at the carp population is another prerequisite. We found that yes, there are carp in Centerville Lake, but we think it's below the threshold where they cause damage. So there's, the, the U of M has actually been doing some fascinating research on common carp over the past 15, 20 years, and they're finding that there's kind of a tipping point or a threshold where once they're above that point, they can be very destructive and bad for a lake, but typically below that point, they don't have much of an impact. So you could go to you know a lake around Brainerd, for example, and there might be some carp in there, but not to the point where they're really causing water quality degradation. Some other lakes around here, they're way above the tipping point and they're absolutely causing a problem. When there are a lot of a carp in a lake, uh, and you consider an alum treatment, those two things don't go well together. And carp are another factor that can shorten the lifespan of an alum treatment. That's why we did the population survey. We think, we think that the carp population is below that uh, threshold, but we're not satisfied with that one survey. Uh, I expect that we're gonna be doing another survey this year, and we do have contingency plans in place to do some carp removal if necessary. Uh, the Watershed District has a very robust carp management program actually. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Carpet. Would you carpet DM over there? <laughs> um, so just some more some some science technical questions uh, if you could help me with. So one is a curiosity about with the alum treatment I um, appreciate like it's sequestering it, um, chelating almost, right? To put it down into the sediment, which is why it degrades over time and gets back into the water. Are there any current research or opportunities or trials um, that's trying to siphon that sequestered phosphorus out of a source, especially if it's really soon after treatment, which would be most successful? I may not know the answer to that. It's just your, a curiosity. Your question would be, is there a way to remove it from the bottom of the lake once it's... Right, There are there any trials or research projects you know, in North America or beyond that is taking that sediment when freshly mm -hmm. um, sequestered and trying any trials or sections of siphoning to reduce the load that can recur over the next 20, 
Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of different answers that I could supply there. One would be that dredging of the bottom of the lake mm -hmm. in some cases is considered. Um, maybe in some other states where they, you know, they're not the land of 10,000 lakes and they can focus all their resources on the lake. You talk about expensive project, dredging the entirety of the bottom of the lake would be, I don't know, 10, 100 times this cost. I have no idea. A lot. Um, but but, but uh, there have been some projects in the past maybe 10 to 15 years called hypolimnetic withdrawal and um, alum dosing. So, so pulling hypolimnetic water, water out of bottom of the lake where, right. where phosphorus levels are higher, dosing it with alum or some other type of um, coagulant or flocculant, trying to settle that out and then dispose of that sludge. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, oftentimes it's been disposed of in a Metropolitan Council sewer and it's gone down. I haven't heard of too many successful examples of those projects. Uh, in the case of Centerville Lake, as with all of the lakes where we would consider this tool, we would compare the costs of that type of a build-out, you know, with pumps and pipes, um, a treatment plant, you know, pipes to move the sludge to another location, Again, the economics there just don't stack up against the cost of alum. A million dollars sounds like a lot, but to build that type of infrastructure and then maintain it um, would cost at least double, perhaps more. Um, and, and we've done some of those studies in advance of this. So there, there are some technologies out there, but the economics don't stack up. I don't think that I would say that we're volunteering to pay for those types of things. But my curiosity is if we're entering this project knowing it, a lot of those efforts are, you know, amplified significantly when they're introduced at the same time as treatment. So if there's opportunities, if there's someone out there working on it, we might want to look at saying, hey, do you want to test here? We'll let you. Because um, it's not going to hurt. Sure. Right? But So that was just a curiosity. Um, at the same time, in our interventional planning, we know that this clarity is really going to be rapid and um, have an intimate relationship with um, the residents and uh, water in Bald Eagle, and so knowing that what they've gone through in the last few years and the milfoil treatments and the exponential bloom, not of algae, but of invasive species, mm. that are there plans um, that you guys have thought of or are currently doing or suggest where we saturate the newly cleared lake with um, native species to try and minimize some mm. of that invasion? Mm -hmm. Are, is that going on? Could it be something we look at? Um, because it will be a problem. Yeah, invasive species. Yeah, they will, right? Yep. So can we mitigate that? Well, the, yeah, the Watershed District has been partnering with the Lake Association the past three or four or five years, something like that, controlling curly leaf pondweed, which is one of the invasive species mm -hmm. found there. I think the most problematic in recent years. Um, and part of the reason that we've been eager to partner with the association is perhaps seeing this project on the horizon, wanting to keep that particular invasive species in check so that when water clarity does improve, we're setting the stage for native plants to respond and not the invasive species. So we've been trying to, to um, build up to the project on the front end. Uh, but to your question about bringing in other plant species, that's actually an emerging science right now in Minnesota. I think the, the prevalent theory for many years was if you improve the water clarity, then the seed bank is there in the bottom of the lake and it will grow, and that's the end of it. Um, if given time. If given time. They don't I, have that luxury. <laughs> it, I, I think in, in um, some recent years, there's 
been some ideas floated by um, some consultants. Uh, University of Minnesota has tried some things. Um, who else am I thinking of? The DNR is now trying a few things with plant transplanting, and there's been some successes and failures. Uh, Rice Creek Watershed District, we just partnered with the DNR to do a plant transplanting effort in Clear Lake, in the city of Forest Lake. Um, we're only on year two of that. There's maybe some promising results there. I think it's too soon to plan for that for Clear Lake. I think you need to see how the lake responds, do the plant surveys, which we will do, and then if we're getting poor diversity of plants, poor biodiversity, we're only seeing three or four native species, when we might expect to see eight to ten, then we have the conversations with DNR about what are our tools for bringing in some of those native species to the lake. So that's a possibility, but I don't know if that's something we can plan for as much as react to. I have that experience with ocean, coral, huh. not plants, they're actually animals, but it's the same thing if we're saturating the environment, that's been what we're working on. Mm. Um, with the native species, that may, whether or not they're self-farmed, um, you know, from the seed banks of that native lane um, in an aquaponic situation and then plant it back in once it's clear. Just curious of what's going on there since this is the land of 10,000 lakes and mm. plus, and that could mean 10,000 plus experiments. Um, same thing, question is the, the, the zooplankton. Are we introducing it intentionally or just letting nature take its course? Because mm. it is definitely the key to our natural yes. solution. No plans to introduce them. Um, or feed them. I've not heard of feed them. I've not heard of that being done. That's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. I've not heard of that being done. Like amplifying the population in a lab simulation and then reintroducing them to their home. I'm 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 similarly uh, unfamiliar with when it comes to both introducing native aquatic plants or zooplankton finding a source to saturate, as you say. Mm -hmm. um, most of the efforts so far have been um, fairly modest trying to introduce you know a few dozen to a few hundred plants or something like that I'm not aware of any lab or, or uh, commercial or otherwise to go and purchase enough to saturate as you say and I'm not familiar with that with zooplankton either but perhaps it exists that's an interesting question and I could look into it just curious I'll stop grilling you now <laughs> good questions and all that great stuff that's the only one I thought of so you do <laughs> 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 um, I guess kind of going off with what Bray was just saying with the zooplankton and what you had said with the positive feedback loop, I'm curious about the treatments that happened, I forget which year it is, with Centerville Lake in the past and if there was evidence of that or just, I'm generally curious about the success of the last treatment. On Centerville Lake? Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, long before my time at Rice Creek, 1998, uh, district doesn't have a lot of records at that time and the monitoring programs in place were I don't think we're robust enough to answer that question. Um, on Bald Eagle Lake, we have done lots of plant surveys both before and after, and we've seen increases in uh, the amount of native plants and the diversity of native plants post-treatment. Hasn't been much zooplankton work there, though. Uh, that's a good question. Um, we do know, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty established science, though, that lakes with clear water and with aquatic plants have uh, higher overall um, mass, biomass of uh, zooplankton and um, typically larger bodied zooplankton and more diverse population. But you know, before and after an alum treatment, I'm not aware of any studies along those lines. Good question.
And then I'm just generally, yeah, this is exciting to me. I've got a brother that fishes on this lake and dogs that swim in it. So it's nice to see the possibility of it being clear again. <laughs> All right. Well, then it comes down to me, and I wish I was better at my conservation class in college because I can't ask questions like that. I, I did think of this old plankton thing, but I didn't know how to term it, so I, I didn't write it down. So thank you for asking that. Um, one thing I will note, though, is I'm glad that you're not doing the tax district. I was staunchly against that last time because I just, it feels odd for me to say someone else is coming into our city and creating a tax district that we didn't have any say over. So I, I am very appreciative of that. Um, gosh, I can't even read my own notes. Oh. I'm very happy about it being in the spring, so I, I, I surely hope that we can get that done. Anything we can do to help foster that, you know, we're on board with it. The third thing I had, though, well, I'll make that the fourth thing, though. So the third thing is, I thought it was interesting, we put 19, I don't know what the specific... Mm -hmm. um, Grams per meter square. Yep. Yeah, that. Yep. Yep. And now we're going with 75. So that really does speak to the level of deterioration in that lake that Terry was mentioning uh, in my opinion if we only needed that little back then and now we're saying we need this much more even after a 20-year period that's well 25 but sure still, that's mm -hmm. an incredible increase uh, certainly we have seen an in I mean, the monitoring data w would agree with you we have seen an increase in the amount of algae in the lake <coughs> I'm not so sure that the small treatment that was done in 1998 um, is directly proportional to the amount of phosphorus or the amount of algae at that time. I think it was just more of a, the, the science was a little cruder then, and I think that there was some financial hurdles where that was the most that they could afford okay. at the time, and that's part of how they got to that number. Uh, this number, the 75 grams per meter squared, is um, calculated and dosed based on the sediment chemistry, so it's a, it's a, it's matching the dose to the problem that we're seeing in the lake. Whereas before it was, how much can we afford and God. we'll do that. So you brought up money. So that was my last point. Uh, obviously the ask for us is 35,000. Uh, you bring it, there we go. Uh, so 3%. And I'm not saying that, you know, that, that's unfair or that we shouldn't pay our fair share or anything of that nature. Cause the, na the lake is named after our city by all means. But, you know, if we're, if we're the first ones you come into, when you go to Anoka County, you can tell them that the city of Centerville said, you know, you guys are parked here on our lake, and we are in your county, so we would love for you to participate at a little bit of a higher level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I figured I'll ask. And then I'll ask our staff, um, Mark, do we, do we have a determination on where we would pull these funds from? Yeah, these funds would likely, it seems most appropriate to come from the stormwater utility. Um, you know, the general function of that utility is to promote water quality and to um, meet our requirements under the MS4 permit. Um, those requirements don't require us to clean up Center Lake, but uh, certainly beyond just what's required of us, um, I think the stormwater quality in general sure. is, is certainly falls under that umbrella so and um, with our new uh, revenue sources in that fund um, from our larger uh, industrial developments um, we will be able to cover that cost if the council should choose to to take on that cost okay thank you for that so um, I don't know if we're, if we're voting here tonight if this is a formal ask or a, kind of a loose ask or 
Yeah, Mr. Mayor, I, I came here kind of dropping these numbers cold on you, and I wasn't necessarily <laughs> expecting a vote tonight on it. Um, I, like with all of the other partners, I'm planning to follow up with a letter of proposed uh, reimbursement agreement that the council could consider at that time. Okay. And some of the comments that I'm hearing from you, I can share with some of the other members also. Um, so yeah, I think it's an ongoing conversation. The, the project does go through 2026, um, and the Watersh District wouldn't be expecting funds to be coming from partners this year. I think it would be in coming years before the end of the project the idea. Okay, perfect. Any other questions by council? All right. Well, thank you so much for coming out tonight. You thank got you. more questions than I ever imagined. <laughs> Appreciate all the good questions. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. So now we get to move into our agenda. We have no public hearings this evening, um, but we do have minutes to approve from our January 10th of 2024 city council meeting. Any council members have any annotations to those minutes? Yes. Yes. Just a couple of spelling or grammar errors or whatever I, I caught, which isn't a big deal. I did have a question, though, on page three of six. Under the contract with the city assessor services, um, uh, we stated that, uh, let's see, uh, the city would also pay the county for services in addition to paying for the current, uh, the, the, the private assessor. I was just wanting to confirm that that's, that's what was said, I guess. I don't remember us being, saying that we were paying for the county assessor and paying for the um, private assessor. I thought what it was is that the county assessor is a backup, yeah. but this says that we would be, it says uh, that he, I'm, I'm assuming it was, it was um, um, Mr. Stats, stated that the city would also pay the county for services, but felt that the modest increases included in the proposal we would remain to be fiscally responsible. Um, from time to time, special requests regarding information for, for proposed developments, et cetera, have been provided at no extra cost, uh, been valued. But that this basically says that, that we were expecting to also pay the county. Um, and then the other, it just was um, the first paragraph, Administrator Stats stated that, stated that, you know, take that out, and then uh, the existing contract, not contact, um, and then uh, the paragraph before um, administrator stats stated gave a brief, just take out stated, and um, further down there's past five months without incident. There's a she in there. I think it was she. I crossed it out. Kurt, did you have a comment on that? Yes. I think that comment was made, <clears throat> but it was made when uh, it's kind of a recitation of history. Is that the reason why we have private assessors now is because we used to pay the county? Right, but um, I think so. That I think what they're saying there is no, was probably said, heard, but they didn't get it right. Right, but that, that's what I'm saying. Is it said that we will also pay the county? Is what the minutes say. So it needs to be corrected right. to or right. taken out or whatever. Yeah. Sure. Other than that. All right. Were we able to capture where he was at? In yeah, we'll, we'll ask yeah. Mr. Sweeney for his notes when we're okay. Perfect. Any other council members have any <laughs> changes and annotations? Put the, the question mark right there. Yeah. All right. Would anyone like to make a motion for approval with the noted changes? So moved. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign. 
motion carries. All right, we move into our consent agenda this evening. Does any council members want to have any items pulled from the consent agenda for further discussion? I got something, but I've had such a paper shuffle, I can't find if this is part of the consent agenda or if this is part of the Amazon escrow. Okay, hold on one moment. Amazon escrow is... That's part of old business. It's, yeah, there it is, old business. Okay, that would be old so business. we wait. Yep. And I Sorry. heard Councilmember Taylor want to pull number five. Any other council members? It's okay, members? I don't need to pull. We don't need to pull number five, okay. I was, was just curious if you wanted to. Oh. All right, no. five is. Um, renewal okay. of ED appointment. All right. Does any council members want to pull any other consent agenda items? All right, uh, I, we will allow room. Any council members want to make any comments about any consent agenda items? All right, hearing none, um, would anyone like to make a motion for approval of the consent agenda as presented? So moved. Uh, we have a motion, do we have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. <clears throat> motion carries. All right, now we move into old business item number one. Amazon escrow release request. Administrative stats. Yeah, Mr. Mayor and Council, um, as you might recall, uh, when we um, did the Amazon development agreement, there were a number of escrows put up. Um, among those were uh, a $500,000 uh, combination, I should call them securities, not all of them were escrows. Um, a combination of $500,000 for what we call site security. Essentially, that meant um, we had to come up with a number that we felt like, what happens if Amazon, um, you know, goes away as the wild world of uh, business can happen um, and just abandon the project halfway through and left a half a building standing in a partial parking lot. So we came up with half a million dollars to sort of smooth out the lot and tear the building, half the building down and get it back to stable where it's not a nuisance, a public nuisance. Clearly that has come and gone, the yep. building is fully constructed, the parking lot is fully constructed, everything is buttoned up on site, um, and so they requested that uh, half a million dollars back. Um, so the request is to fully release both the $50,000 escrow and the 450000 bond for that. Then another one of the escrows that we, or securities that we had in place was one for the public infrastructure portion of the project. Essentially, it consisted of water main running along 21st Avenue that they installed as part of the project. This became public infrastructure, so we now own and operate that infrastructure. However, there is a two-year warranty period on it. We're about a year into that warranty um, and have another year left. So our policy um, surrounding that uh, for all development agreements, and including this one, is that they, um, we can, they can, as soon as that infrastructure is in place and approved, they can request um, a reduction in that security down to 35% through the warranty period. And at the conclusion of the warranty period, they can request the remaining 35%. So. Um, in this case, we're um, uh, allowing a, a, re a requested reduction down to 35% of 130000 which I think what was 120 or something, like the math, math is right. So those are the two escrows. I know it's in three chunks, so it's a little confusing, but there are two escrows, the site security and the infrastructure securities that are being requested for release. We still have um, $650,000 of transportation funds. You can call it an escrow, but it's we're going to spend that. Um, we will not be giving that back. Um, Which is specifically for? 
for anything in the general um, traffic study area, okay. and so essentially to mitigate impacts from the development, um, or that are partially from the development. And then uh, we also have a $80,000 um, escrow for uh, a noise barrier. If we said that one year into operation, we wanted to reevaluate the noise. If there was a noise problem, we would build a um, noise wall or uh, other sort of mitigation efforts. Um, and so we're holding on that until that um, runs out. And I think that might be the end of the um, major escrows there. They may have another 20000 or something for um, attorney and planner and engineer fees, but um, I think other than that, um, those are the major ones remaining. So any questions on that? I'd be happy to take them. All right, you answered my question, so we'll see if council has any questions. Darren, do you have one? Yeah, he answered my question with the 80000 but yeah. um, we were supposed to have a... Uh, field test, not a computer-generated uh, sound barrier test um, during the summer months. Is that correct? Is that still plotted yeah, for it's, that? It's, uh, it'll happen one year into operation, so they were operational in October of this year, and we'll, we'll do the same next year at this time. We'll do that. So they'll do it in the winter or the summer? October would be the planned date. October. Yeah, we can certainly ask them to escalate, you know, put that into the summer months. I'm sure they don't care. The whole idea was just that we wanted to make sure that they were right. fully operational, not like 80% operational. Um, so I, we're there already. Yeah, we could do it in June if you really wanted to. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, no, I was just, uh, that, that was my concern that that 80 gram was part of that package, but you answered it clearly, and I was just wanting an update on yep. the field test. Yep. Here. Thanks. Russ, did you have any questions? My questions were answered. Mark was proactive on that. Perfect. Ryan, any question? Terry? Uh, just that we're doing the, the two motions that are in this little synopsis thing. That's, oh, that's the recommendation, yes. Okay. Avery, any questions? All right. Would anyone like to make a motion for approval of the Amazon escrow release requests? I'll make a motion, just like it's written here, for the release of the Amazon site escrow. Of fifty thousand dollars in site security bond of four hundred and fifty thousand. We have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second that. We have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? I'll just note that um, Mr. Sweeney has made the first motion. And the, yeah. I would assume there's a second motion coming. Oh, I was I was bundling them together. If you only wanted to be one, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I thought that it, the way it was written, it, it looks like it probably should be two because it's two totally different good. dollar amounts. No problem. So we have a motion and a second on the first motion. All in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right, we'll go part two. Does anyone want to make a motion? I can do that one also if you like. We have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second it. We have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? <coughs> Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right, we're going to move into new business. Um, new business item number one, 2023 EDA annual report. Mark, are you taking that one or is it Thanasia? Uh Doesn't matter. I, I, I just quickly, um, this is really just a form, formal uh, ask that you approve of what Mr. Remillard presented tonight. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, just a, a, again, a, a, I don't know that there's any place that it says we have to do this, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense for the council to formally um, endorse uh, the plan going forward for the EDA okay. so they know that they have the backing of the council. All right. Does any council members have any comments or questions? Would anyone like to make a motion for approval? So moved. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. 
We have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. All right. Um, new business item number two, the 2024 EDA annual goals. Does any council member have any questions or comments in reference to those? Hearing none, would anyone like to make a motion for approval? So moved. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. We have a motion and second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign. Motion carries. I didn't ask for further discussion, but the train was rolling. So, all right. Um, new business item number three: the redevelopment grant application. Administrative thoughts. Yes, Mr. Mayor and Council. Um, tonight, I think that we'll ask um, that we actually um, sit either table or take no action on this, even though we're up against the deadline here. It's become apparent that we don't have, or the developer doesn't have, uh, the information necessary for this grant application at this time. The good news is that Deed, several years back, made a wonderful decision to make this a six-month cycle. So they issue grants twice a year, so you don't have to wait a whole year for this. Um, the next deadline is in August, August 1st. Um, and so we think it's more appropriate that this come up uh, again in August when all this information is in hand. Some of the things that were needed are um, a resolution establishing a TIF district. Well, we're a long ways away from that yet. Um, you need soils reports, you need things that just don't exist yet. Um, we have it on the agenda because the deadline was fast approaching. We wanted to make sure in case we needed to um, get this done that we had it on the agenda. But I, I left it on the agenda as opposed to just taking it off the agenda when you asked if there were any changes to the agenda because I wanted to have just a brief discussion about this. Um, this is the grant that we um, considered back in 2019 when we had, um, when we were looking at um, an apartment building on Block 7 with Trident development. At the time, the council voted this grant application down. Um, it is, um, every time my review comes around and you tell me that, Mark, if you have a, a strong feeling about something and we're heading in the wrong direction, you should really step up and tell us. This is what I think about every time. Um, I, I feel like, in, in hindsight, now obviously the project didn't go forward, we didn't approve TIF, there's a number of different things, but if that train had kept rolling and we had not done this grant application, um, that decision would have made my stomach turn a little bit. Um, this grant is out there for projects that qualify for redevelopment TIF. Um, it's not the whole story, you have to have other things that play into it. Um, but this is a, a grant that is set up to support projects like we're proposing um, or we are, are considering proposals on uh, with Lalan here. So um, no guarantee we would get funding through this program, but I think, um, again, that, you know, a big chunk of the points scoring system here is do you qualify for a TIF district? So if we get to the point where we approve a TIF district for this project as a redevelopment TIF, um, it would behoove us to apply for this grant. There is a match component. There is a 50% match component, which is substantial. Um, however, I think what I didn't do a very good job of explaining last time is how the city could pay for that without paying for it, um, for lack of a better way of explaining it. Um, so I promise you that when we bring this back to you in six months, I will have a much more robust discussion or, or explanation of how um, that match would be accounted for. And um, again, 
getting investment in our community at 50 cents on the dollar um, is something we really should not pass up if we're going to go forward with this project, right? So, um, you know, perhaps the reason we voted it down last time was more because people already were kind of thinking they were, <laughs> we weren't going to go forward with this project. But I don't want the reason to be that people think, uh, I don't know about, you know, there was sort of a sentiment, I think, floated at the time, oh, well, this feels like we're helping a developer, you know, why, do, why would we apply for a grant for a developer? You're applying for a grant to move a project forward that the community uh, and the council wants to see happen uh, as an investment in your community. And um, again, getting investment at 50 cents on the dollar is, is something we want to pursue, right? So um, I, I'd take any questions on the grant it, itself, but um, I just wanted to have a brief introduction just so that you have a chance now for the next six months to ask me, uh, you know, publicly or privately about the, the grant, and I can explain in more depth than I did three years ago or whatever it was, four years ago in, on Block 7. Always find it interesting when you repeat to me things that I've said before. I'm like, did I say that? <laughs> um, but I also know that I've said, hey, if there's money out there that we can pull in that will save our taxpayers' dollars, let's let's get our hands on that money if at all possible. So that is one thing I've not forgotten that, I, that I've said, and um, I know that I'll be pretty consistent about that. Does any council members have any other comments or questions in reference to this before we move on from this agenda item? Councilman Lemosier. Is there a ceiling on that? Like, yes, is there, there a maximum? Is. There is, I should know that. That's okay, I'm just asking if there it, is. It's in the, around the magnitude of, um, you know, maybe a half million dollars. I believe every six months there's about two million dollars allocated. I believe the max is a half million dollar ask, half million dollar. So it's, it's nothing to sneeze at, you know. I think we listed some of the other grants we got this year earlier. All those are budget dust, to use the term the mayor's <laughs> I mean, those are wonderful grants. I'm not saying we shouldn't have applied for them, but, you know, those were 3000 here, 1000 here, 5000 here. This is half a million dollars. And, and does that ride out the years? That we agree to do the um, so this will be a one-time upfront grant. Upfront, okay. Yep. But there's opportunity to kind of make that match be paid with TIF dollars. It, it can get um, very complex, and um, you know, again, it can it, it can be what it can what it can be. I think is an opportunity to keep TIF under control, right? If we if the developers coming to us and saying whatever we're offering for TIF just isn't going to make this happen. This is a way to maybe make it happen without increasing the TIF in order to make it happen, right? So this might be sort of an anecdote, <coughs> anecdote, anecdote to TIF in, in some regard, right? There might be sort of an offset there that can be um, negotiated. Thank you. Right. Yeah, so my question was kind of on the lines of Darren, um, half million dollars, is that what are we talking about half of that would be a match by the city of Centerville, or are we talking about we, city of Centerville has to match that half a million? Um, I believe that would be city of Centerville has to match the half million. Okay. But I want to be clear that there are um, things that can be negotiated with the developer to ensure that other costs are then. It, put it to their column, if you understand what I'm saying. Kind of where I was going to go with that, is any of this, are we able to pass through any of these right. costs or that right. by, that are 50% as pass through? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. 
Terry, you, look, you have a question on your face. No? no. Nothing? Not on this one. Ray, Ray looked away from me, so I couldn't <laughs> even see if she had a question. <laughs> Anything, Avery? All right. Well, I would um, just note that we... Motion to table. Well, I, I did ask. She said no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to, I don't know if we needed the table or if we just let we it. We don't necessarily need the table. Just taking no action would be just fine. Just motion to take no action. Motion to take no action. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. Yeah. So we're taking no action. All right. So moving on, on to new business item number four, public works building boiler replacement. Where's Paul? Yeah. Paul probably <laughs> should have been here. Um, <laughs> he asked me to take this one and run with it. So um, we've got a, an interesting um, problem at the public works department, which is that the boiler um, conked out on us. And um, Paul has come up with some creative solutions. I've laid those out in my memo here. Um, staff's recommendation is uh, the option which has us buying a boiler off of eBay. Sounds a little jarring at first. Um, and uh, maybe a little unconventional. But when you start to put the pieces together, um, you know, maybe it does make some sense when you look at the dollars. I think I hopefully did a nice job of laying out the total cost. So um, option one, uh, in no particular order here, just uh, option one is to buy a high efficiency boiler, kind of new state of the art thing, have it installed, get the rebate from Centerpoint Energy, which comes along with it, and the net cost is around 14.4. Um, option two is to purchase a new, um, newer model, but still at this lower efficiency. Um, the, the contractor that was proposing this also thought that if we did that, we would want to add these circulation pumps to sort of avoid some of the problems we had with this current model and, and what was going on with it. Um, net cost there, 11650 And then um, option three, purchase the eBay boiler, which is the exact same model that we have, um, all in cost, in, in other words, the cost of the boiler, going out to get it, bringing it back, having a, a contractor install it. Um, uh, next page here, the all in cost there um, was 5750 So $5,750 versus 14400 makes buying something off of eBay seem a little bit more palatable, um, perhaps. Um, so, Paul's a resourceful guy, and um, his staff is very resourceful, and they think they can do this, and um, when I say they can do this, I mean, you know, they can work with the contractor to get this done. Um, and so that is our recommendation, that we would um, buy this boiler off of eBay, and install it, and Strip the other one from of parts. We have a <clears throat> set of replacement parts, <clears throat> and then um, you know uh, that's the stash recommendation. <coughs> recommendation. Sorry, private throat. I'll take questions. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. Right. <laughs> Ray, um, I'm gonna have to defer to his expertise. <laughs> with a smile <laughs> on your face. <laughs> okay. I don't know what kind of guarantees come with eBay purchases and what mitigation plans there would be for them. That's my only concern. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep gathering comments and 
See what we come up with, Russ. Uh, yeah, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Mark, how old is our current system, and has 16. it been, and has it been causing has it been a problematic? It, it hasn't been problematic. Um, I think it's what 15 years old, 15, 16 years old, or something like that. You had 16 in here. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it it did go down a little earlier than we were would have hoped. I think you know. I mean, boilers <laughs> can be fickle and. Um, Maintenance heavy sometimes, but this one just sort of crashed and burned. The the heat exchanger went on it, um, and it, I'm no expert, but it's a cast iron heat exchanger. It's not something you weld or you know patch back up real easy. You know anything about cast iron? It's very strong, but it's very brittle, and when it breaks, it breaks. Mm -hmm. And it's not like aluminum or something where you can kind of patch it back together. Right. So the idea that we could just fix it was sort of out the door, and um, yeah, I mean, there's some theories on, you know, each, we we, ha we got quotes from three different, we actually asked for <clears throat> quotes from like five different vendors, got quotes from three different ones, and each of them um, had a different idea what to do. And um, so there's various theories on, you know, how to extend the life of the new one or the, yeah. the same one again. So. Yeah, and I guess the reason why I ask about the age, and, and <clears throat> I forgot that you had it in there, but... Um, that was not in there. We put that in there. That was not in the building when we bought it, I presume. Yeah, we bought a shell of a building, if you recall. Yeah. It, it was a concrete plant that was half built during the recession and kind of didn't make it. We bought, them off, bought it off of him for a pretty good price. So we're going on eBay to get this. Are, are they no longer made? That's correct. This particular model is no longer made. Okay, so <clears throat> we're not going to get any warranty with this one. I would think so. And um, if we have issues with this one, um, how are we going to get parts for it? Are they still made? The only parts that we would have would be, would be the, the one that strip out the old one, right? Yeah, okay. Um, and, yeah, I, I like that idea better. I got a friend that's in that HVAC business where he just recently retired, and, and we talked about uh, high efficiencies and... And his experience, high efficiencies. Now, I don't know about this particular application, but he said they can be more problematic, um, even though you're saving a little bit of money. But um, once you're out of warranty, he said they can cost you too. So I would be okay with your proposal, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Darren? <clears throat> so if they get the one off eBay, they said they got to put two pumps on it additionally that weren't on there before. Did I catch that right? Uh, not exactly, no. The 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 middle option, option two, was um, for a different boiler, not the eBay boiler, but a circulation a pumps, lower, a different lower efficiency boiler that they thought would then maybe benefit from these recirculation pumps. So did the old one have circulation pumps on it? Obviously not. Maybe it did not, right? And so the new one would they need? Would it last <coughs> longer with circulation? Yeah, pumps? Yeah, it, it may. Um, this was this one. The, the contractor that proposed this 80% boiler thought the circulation pumps would be a good idea. That same contractor did, did not propose on the installation of the eBay boiler. They were not interested in installing that boiler, so they did not offer whether or not that was a good idea. So I, I'm not answering your question very clearly, but I, I think, yeah, maybe um, when all is said and done here, we would add some circulation pumps to the eBay boiler. What that cost is, I don't know off the top of my head, but it, you know, 
Well, the real question I guess I, I have is if we do option number one, um, would that perform better with circulation pumps? Because there's a reason why circulation pumps are on boilers. Yeah. Not that I know what it is, but it sounded good. <laughs> sounded good. Yeah. But you know what I mean? If if we get number one, are we going to have, like Russ said, I mean, efficiency doesn't always mean no problems, but if we got circulating pumps for that one, would that... So what would I would say about be... the, yeah, the, the brand new 97% efficiency boiler, what Russ was alluding to, and Paul expressed to me as well, which is he has friends in the industry that say the, the new ones are can be problematic because of how many sensors there are and stuff like that. Um, at the same time, that's part of what we think happened here is that because there aren't 100 sensors watching this, that, or the other thing overheat or run low on this or, you know what I mean, um, have a higher energy draw, things that would t tip you off to a problem that is going to cause a failure. Um, so I think the answer is that I don't know that circulation pumps would be necessary on one because there'd be so much monitoring equipment on it that we'd see a problem coming and it wouldn't become a failure. It, it would trip out because, hey, you know, it's getting overheated over here or uh, the, the power draw on this is looking a little high, something must be going wrong, and you, and you get to diagnose things quicker, whereas the old model didn't have a lot of bells and whistles and it. it's kind of up to you to, <coughs> oh, jeepers, why is this overheating? Um, yeah. You really got to pay a lot of attention to it, you know. So number one, I mean, would have the technology to yeah. do what the pumps are doing on least, the older ones? Or at least see it before it becomes a problem. Okay, so if we did number one with pumps, I don't know if that would help or not. I yeah. I would think that's probably a complete system is what they're... Yeah, I, I would think so too. Yeah, that's what my question was. I mean, does that come I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, and again, the, the contractor that proposed the new 97% boiler mm -hmm. did not mention those circulation pumps as something they thought was necessary. Yeah. I'm, I'll go with your recommendation. Here. Um, kind of being in the construction industry somewhat and having had a furnace replaced here not too long ago. Um, and looking at the numbers here, this 650 to $700, does that include the uh, pay for the person to do it? Correct. Okay, so that includes their pay plus everything else for the trip. Yep. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to buy something old that you can't get parts for and you're relying on stripping an existing boiler for you're also going to be relying on somebody who has the knowledge to repair this thing and within three to five years you're not going to find anybody who's going to have the knowledge to repair it right. um, so for me personally I am the type I don't like to buy an old used piece of crap or even if it is a new old piece of crap that nobody knows how to repair or that has to have old parts stripped from a, something to buy it's my opinion. Um, as far as the other two are concerned, uh, saying that it's going to cost or it's going to save us, save the city, uh, on the average $660 per year, that's at today's prices. Um, gas is going to go up. Gas is going to become more expensive if it's, in a, if it's running off of natural gas. Therefore, I think our savings are going to increase if we go with a higher efficiency model. It's going to be a new model. If we spend a little extra money to have somebody come in annually from where we buy it from to service it, check it, we probably will have that thing last 
a whole lot longer than the 16 years that the other one lasted. But then again, like I said, it would have to be on some sort of a maintenance or service program. Um, I would I would be more inclined to go with the high efficiency model. You've got something brand spanking new. Um, you're going to be saving money. That savings is going to increase over the course of the years as the prices and stuff go up. That's where I would be. I would not vote for getting an old boiler off of EB that we have to strip parts from an existing one that just failed. Thank you. Avery, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to agree and echo some of the concerns that Ray had touched on earlier when it comes to something bought from eBay, just in the fact that there's no warranty or no like even assurance that it'll get to us in one part. So. All right, so that... that can I oh, comment now? Yes, please. Okay. Um, it doesn't say in here electric gas hybrid of the current model and the proposed high efficiency one. They're all gas. All models. gas. Natural gas models, yeah. It, I, there. Hold, hold on. I think the other thing that no one said that I want to mm -hmm. point out is <clears throat> there is money cost, but I also think that we need to start making responsible environmental decisions, and this is an opportunity to do that. Um, with with it, the more efficient boiler, I think it has lower risks overall, higher financial costs, but it is also an important investment in the future. That's the little things that will add up. Thank you. Trust did you have something to add? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with what Terry is saying too, and I totally understand that. Um, but where I would gonna, I'm gonna fall back on, and I respect Paul. I think he's intelligent, and he understands mechanical and, and mechanics and those kind of things. And there's, I'm assuming there's a reason why you guys are choosing that one. Um, so otherwise, if I was there and I had my nose and head into it, I might think differently, and, and that's the reason why. And like I say, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm gonna make an assumption that you guys know about this system too. So, you know, and in those high efficiencies and they got all kinds of circuit boards and computers or whatever running them and those things go down, you're, you're going to spend $5,000 to fix it and they do go out according to a, a friend of mine. So I w that's why I'm kind of leaving it up to staff and that's my main reason. But I agree with what you're saying, Terry, but I'm hoping staff has some knowledge here. I don't. Thank you. Okay. Well, from from my chair, I, I read through that and I just kind of let it marinate a little bit because I thought, yeah, you know, part of me wants to say, all right, this is what staff wants to do. But a big part of me was really against, well, if staff wants to do this, I don't want to send someone in a vehicle to go get it. That seems silly to me. At least have it delivered so we can make sure it gets here in one piece. And then I started thinking about it and I wrote the exact thing down. Warranty? Question mark? Probably not. Um, then I heard current problems that we're having with it. So we already know that we're having some issues with the one we have, even before it broke down, and we're going to put something in that's going to give us the same exact issue. So to me, I'm going, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense in my head. And then if this one, you know, this one broke down on us unexpectedly, so who's to say that this new old one that we get won't also break down on us unexpectedly and maybe even faster because we don't truly know the history of it. 
I, I just struggle with buying something. I mean, don't get me wrong. If it's time to buy a used car and that's what you know you're getting, then buy a used car. That's what you want. But I know there's, Mark says he remembers things that I say. I, I say this more about wells and sewer pumps. Um, don't buy a used one just trying to save us a buck. Let's make sure that our infrastructure is sound. This isn't quite that at that level, but I still want to apply the same thought process. I would rather have sound infrastructure that I feel confident in than to save a couple of bucks now that's just going to cost me more later. And so, therefore, I mean, Terry stated it eloquently, gave all of the, the reasons behind it. Mine was more linear, saying, I'm not just sure that this makes sense for us as a city. If we can, you know, it's not always about what we can afford, but if I think about the things that Ray said and, you know, looking at the efficiency, looking at us taking care of the environment, secondarily looking at this one broke down on us unexpectedly. And that just, that, that scares me, especially if we're going to drive a truck out and pick it up and then throw some bubble gum and hard wire on it and kind of put it together and see if we can't fire it up. That, boy, I don't know that that's where, we're a small town, but I don't know that we're that small, if, if that makes any sense. So, um, <clears throat> what's the urgency of this? Um, so we do have a backup heating system. Uh, it's working fine. Um, it's not that cold. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's not that much urgency, to be honest. I mean, it would be nice, you know, in case it does get cold here. Um, in case our backup system goes out, then we got a real problem, right? But, um, you know, for now, it's, it's okay, because the, to be clear, the, the office area is still working and has its own unit. This is for the bay area where our trucks are and that yep. kind of thing. Um, and this runs the heated floors in there, which is the primary heat source. We also have a service-mounted, uh, it's not a milk house heater, but it's kind of something like that, right? It's right, a yeah. fan-based thing. Okay. Um, it's certainly not as energy efficient and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, there's um, not necessarily an urgency here. We could, could get by. If it was that urgent, I probably would have made this decision by myself and not come to you, but... Um. Well, the reason I asked about the urgency is, personally, I mean, there's been a question as to the specifics as to why this um, suggestion was made. If it purely was dollars and cents, hey, this just seemed like it was a lot cheaper, so therefore... I, I, I asked facetiously where is Paul when it started. I, I guess I really would love to hear from Paul. I mean, if he comes in and he's extremely confident and boy we know this system we know we can get it here and there's other things that you guys just don't know about it because he's the expert you know he's a subject matter expert I, I am not uh, I can ask some folks but that doesn't make me an expert whatsoever I, I guess I want to hear from the guy who's going to guarantee me that he can take care of it and it's going to have some range to it and not break down in five years Mr. Mayor wrong. Yes, please. That's 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 where I have the issue. Is is we have, uh, <clears throat> no offense, but the people that are in uh, public works right now, they're not that far away from retiring. Right. The majority of, them. and so you're looking at you're looking at um, in three to five years, you're going to have a whole different dynamic in there, 
and they may not, that new dynamic may not have any way to fix this boiler. Also, if the current boiler has a cast iron part that went, if that same part goes again, we have no replacement for it. Right. Uh, I, personally, like I said, my opinion, it doesn't make sense to get, even if it is a brand new older model, it doesn't make sense to have that because we're going to be relying, the city is going to be relying on somebody that has the knowledge to repair, fix, keep this thing running. And that's, where I work, we're having that issue with one of our trucks. The, the previous manager there didn't replace any trucks. Was trying to milk things, fix it, fix it, fix it. The truck went down. They don't even make parts for this truck anymore. So they can't fix the truck. Right. So that you're going to run into the same kind of situation, I feel, with this. Uh, I, that's, that's the main reason why, I mean, if you want to go with the cheaper 80% boiler, but at least it's brand new. You know, um, if it if it makes people more comfortable not having the high efficiency, but I just think that you know, uh, again with natural gas prices going up, I mean all of our energy costs are going to go up. That's a given. So to me, having a higher efficiency makes the most sense. Okay. Well, I mean, here we sit right now. Uh, someone can make a motion, or we could ask to table it and ask our public works director to come in and share more knowledge with us. Uh, I'll, I'll make a motion. Open. I'll make a motion that we go with the 97% efficient boiler um, and get it replaced when it's feasible. Okay, we have a motion on the table. Do we have a second? I will second that motion. How about that? Um, so we have a motion and a second. Any further discussion? My, my only problem with that motion is to table or to postpone for one meeting for Paul to come. Okay. First, personally, I, I don't, I don't need Paul to. I know enough about some of this stuff and having been exposed to it over the last thirty years that it's. I mean, if somebody else needs it, that's that's fine. He's yeah. retired in two years, isn't he, or something like that? And, yeah, and that's like I said. That my biggest concern is. I mean, I understand we have people there now that could can do the do the repairs and can keep the other boiler going or if a part goes bad on it you can take the old part that you got from the boiler that you kept but then again now we got to keep a bunch of pieces and parts around for that so i just I, w I would if it's if it was my house i would go with the 97 percent efficiency unit which is actually what i did on my house and then you do a maintenance or you have somebody come out once a year to check it to make sure everything's fine is even in even in the trades you're going to run into in three to five years nobody's going to know how to work on that boiler my concern is that the boilers aren't the only other option well for a heated floor if it's all a water based system that is the only option for that heated floor we only have gas as an option here no i'm, I'm talking about for it it, I don't think you can get an electric one if it's all set up right now for gas. It would cost a whole lot more to convert it all over. But if this is heating of a floor, an in-floor heating system, that's why it's a boiler because it's running hot water through that whole floor system. you can system have heated. an electric boiler, is then, what I'm saying. Right, but then you have to change everything out in there, not just take a furnace out and put it in. 
Well, there was a motion and a second on the floor. There's further comments to potentially table it, so that's an option if the motion fails. Any other comments? Yeah, my one comment would be, and I again, I agree with what Terry is saying, but I would just like to hear it, but I have respect for Paul and Mark and staff, and I would just like to hear the reasons why they chose the lower option, considering what Terry is saying. Um, you know, so I, he must have a reason for it. And, and uh, yeah, that, so I would just like to hear what his reasons are. If, uh, yeah. All right. So our options here right now is we can call for the vote, the motion can be pulled, and the, it can be tabled either way. <clears throat> and Terry, you made the motion. If you're not willing to pull it, we'll call for a vote. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by same sign? Aye. And aye. You're opposed. Okay, so motion fails three to two. Um, is there a secondary motion that anyone would like to make? I would make a motion, Mr. Mayor, to table it and uh, tell our next meeting and we hear comments from uh, public works staff, in particular, Paul. Okay, we have a motion to table the agenda item. Is there okay. a second? There's a second. Any further discussion? All right, hearing none, all those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed by the same sign? Opposed. I'm gonna vote to table it, because, <laughs> so motion passes four to one. We will table the issue and have Public Works Director come to our next meeting to share a little bit more information and thoughts. Mr. Mayor, just for the record, I, I wanted to make sure I understood that you were in no, uh, excuse me, a yes vote on the first motion. I didn't. As a yes really. both times. Okay. Yep. Very good. They, they both seem reasonable to me. I was okay <laughs> with it. It was a motion by Terry on the first one and the second one. No, I got that on, oh, on the sorry. second one. Motion, second. Motion, second. Gotcha. All right. Thank you. Okay. That is the last of our regularly scheduled agenda items. We'll move into staff and council reports and updates. So, administrative stats. Well, there's our junior councilor being sworn in and doing the hearty handshake that welcomes everybody. Um, so, congratulations to Avery. Uh, we're glad to have her aboard. She's just hit the ground running. It's been great. Um, Central Cares this month is about uh, National Blood Donor Month. Uh, if you haven't ever donated blood or plasma or other blood products, it's uh, quite uh, an experience and it's a, uh, someone that's done it before. Uh, I will advocate for it. It's a wonderful life experience. You feel pretty doggone good about yourself <laughs> after you come out of there and um, it, it does uh, wonderful things for people and there is a shortage, I know, of, of donors. So uh, please consider if you can do it. Um, still have lots of uh, opportunities for folks to join our, our boards and commissions. Um, still have a spot on the Parks and Rec Committee and still two uh, positions open on the Planning and Zoning Commission. Even though we had just someone um, join us, we had someone leave at about the same time. So we do still have two openings on the Planning and Zoning Commission. Yes, Ms. Taylor. Um, did you engage with the applicants, all of the applicants? Regarding that, from we the did yes, okay, we just did checking. yep. Um, had some follow-up phone conversations. Uh, in fact, Miss um, Miss Kalina is one of the mm -hmm. people that was uh, council candidate, right? So, um, yeah, had follow-up conversations, but probably need one more follow-up just to kind of see where they're at. A lot of folks just you know needed some time to think it over yet. So thanks. Uh, early voting is now open. Um, just prior to the council meeting, Teresa cleared all the voting machines out of here. You, you didn't see it during the day, it's, it's quite the operation. We have a 
stand-up voting booth and a sit-down one for folks uh, in, a, in a wheelchair. And um, so for 46 days prior to the primary, um, this is the presidential nomination primary, we are to be open for business. So we did have our first voter today. Um, so if anyone is interested in voting in the primary, you can come on down and get that done here at City Hall for the next 40 days or so. <laughs> so, um, yeah, keep an eye out, you know, for um, other notifications on the uh, actual, you know, ballot day um, is coming up here in, in March. So, um, the name of snowplow contest is still open for entries. You can correct the QR code so you can get there a little easier. The skate night did go forward. We just Hit the right week. Uh, we, we had ice um, on our rink just prior to skate night. About I think a day before we were open, and unfortunately today we had the signs up that said please stay off the ice because it got to 39 degrees today and it's yep. headed towards 50 towards the end of the week. So unfortunately, um, the dream of outdoor ice is come and gone, and. Um, it's quite unlikely that we'll be able to reestablish it um, if you look at a long-term forecast. It's just, and then once you get into February, by Valentine's Day for sure, the sun is just too high in the sky. Even if it is cold, that sun bakes it up real quickly. So um, we'll do our best if there is some cold weather, but um, I would think that we're probably done with that operation for the year. Uh, we went through the... Um, Water, excuse me, I, I skipped over my 20th Avenue corridor study. We did have a meeting um, on that yesterday, and um, a lot of great progress on that in terms of mapping out some um, geometric designs for um, both the 21st Avenue corridor, um, especially at Main Street 21st, and then the 20th Avenue corridor from Birch all the way up to the north end of the city, and uh, lots of different concepts. Traditional intersections, roundabouts, medians, turn lanes, three-quarter intersections, quarter, you know, so we've got lots of lots of options to kind of bring to the public. Um, please keep your ears open for opportunities um, to give comment because uh, we'll be having um, two public meetings, um, likely, but um, really going to be a short time span here to give your input, so um, please keep uh, aware of that. Um, we have a new officer over at the police department. His name is Seamus, and he is um, joining us from um, a career in uh, the prison um, system. So congratulations to him. Look for him out on patrol. He is under, you know, undergoing training right now, so he, if you'll see sometimes two officers in a car, that's what's going on. Normally our officers work alone, but um, when you see two of them, there you, means, you, means one of them is in training. We have the Lalonde development. Um, you know, we discussed that kind of in, in passing here today and, and in terms of a couple other things we were talking about. I, I do want everyone to understand that um, we have been meeting with the developer, have you know, identified all the sort of um, preliminary issues that need to be addressed right away. A big part of the initial design here is, uh, design work is to place that building on the site, whether that exact placement as it's shown there is, is the right spot for it or not. Um, is yet to be determined. We talked a lot about whether or not that building should move to the west 40 some feet or so to accommodate another row of parking on the east side as opposed to putting any parking on the west side of the building. 
both for aesthetic reasons and just for how the building might sit in the in the landscape there. Talked about perhaps mirroring the building so that the long side is on the on the south and the short side is on the north. Um, so lots of different design options that are being explored right now, and um, obviously then just the financial and um, other logistical issues. Westview Street part was partially abandoned. Kurt and his firm are, are working on that and um, trying to focus on you know what um, what the property issues surrounding Westview Street would be. Talking with the fire department about their need for access around a three-story building. What do they want to see in terms of do they need a fire lane on the north side of the building? Do they need some hydrants on the west side of the building? Can they fight a fire from Main Street or is it too far? A lot of different questions there um, that we want to work out early, right? You don't want to get to the far end of the design and say, by the way, could you move your building 50 feet? <laughs> That's right. a negative thing, right? So trying to flesh out all those issues early in the design process and make sure that we don't trip up any of that late in the game. Um, Mr. Mayor, Mark, if I may yeah. question, um, other than safety reasons and permission from the county, why doesn't um, Westview go through to 14? You mean why doesn't it today or why wouldn't it in the future? Yeah, why wouldn't it in this proposal? I, I think generally the safety issues of the curve, um, just not having a good sight distance around this curve. There's a wall there um, that probably limits your sight distance. And, um, yeah, just a, just generally a bad spot for an intersection. There. Is it cost prohibitive to do that, to have it go through to 14 like that? No, I don't think it's cost prohibitive. I think... Um, could you put the flashing light traffic entering or something or would yeah. we you know because it came up last time that with school and the buses and everything going through there i think that might get a little congested and boy the more i looked at that it seemed like a a bit of a solution to that well just if it was like a right turn only yeah definitely have to be a one way sure right turn in right turn out sure no right. just one way you can only go out go yeah. out uh, just a right turn out yeah with a merge lane with or without, I mean, you know, yeah, right outs are often allowed. Um, you know, you can imagine um, taking a right turn um, isn't as dangerous as taking a left turn because you only got to navigate one, you only got to look left. Looking left, however, is the, the sight distance issue. Um, it, it might be something, I, I think a lot of the, you know, it depends on uh, morning and evening, right? But where is your traffic going from this apartment? Is it going to want to go west? Uh, or is it going to go east to the freeway? Um, you know, there's that old there's that old um, thought around town here that most people, when they want to go to Minneapolis, they go west. They don't go to 35E. And whether that holds true here or not, I, I don't know. But um, I think folks are, you know, thinking about the congestion with the school buses and that kind of thing. But you know, it's a limited time frame. The, the buses are in and out of there in about five minutes. And um, whether or not that Design constraint um, controls the whole thing. I think it's convenience for the residents in here too. I mean, yeah. at least the way this is laid out. I mean, if the, if the garage is going to be there, it just makes a whole lot of sense just to come out and off you go. Yeah. If you're going west, if you're coming east, then what you're doing to me is even if that intersection can be made safe, what you're then doing is just adding traffic to the busier leg of that intersection. To me, as a traffic engineer, I would rather have people come to the north side of that intersection. It's a four-way stop, as it is today, right? And so having more balance of traffic on the four legs 
makes that intersection function better actually than it would adding traffic to the east-west direction. Um, so a few things to think about there. Yeah, I just kind of wonder though um, that the PNZ folks brought up that at some point you're not going to be able to control that with stop signs. Yeah, and it could very well be a signal at some point in time. Yeah, so I guess that was, because I deal with that with traffic on um, on, a, on a 20th Avenue, and especially on Sunday mornings, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it gets, but I just thought to throw that out there. I didn't mean to get in the weeds on that. But no, I don't I mean, it's certainly something we'll continue to look at with the design, right? And, and the developer will certainly look at whether or not they're, they, they want their residents to have a positive experience. They don't want to send them into a traffic jam. You know, that's not going to be popular. That's not going to be good for rent, right? Um, so I'm sure we'll discuss that more. Um, yeah, just also, um, we've got it up on our, our website, and I, I, you know, I don't think we'll be taking that down anytime soon, an opportunity to comment on this. Um, I, I do anticipate from the developer a, a revised figure that does not show West Street going through and has maybe some of the design decisions that we've talked about earlier um, incorporated, just a little bit updated, more updated figure. Um, but we encourage the public to send us your feedback, and um, I've heard from a few residents via phone, that's great as well, they can call, um, but we want to make sure that we have as much engagement um, opportunity as possible for the public. So, so up on our website, we've, um, we'll certainly put some things out on social media and stuff as well. So, Mark, the few people you've heard from, has it been positive or just questions or? Um, questions, you know, the, the two people I heard from were the two most immediate neighbors, uh, two of the three most immediate neighbors uh, to the north there. Um, you know, there were concerns. I, um, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but yeah, I would say the the feedback from them was not particularly positive. It was more concerns, maybe not negative, but concerns. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we had nice chats that are very uh, congenial folks and, and nice chat about the issues. So. Okay. Thank you. Block 7 has not um, heard any new news in, in a while here. Um, certainly trying to circle back with those folks. We did make contact with them before the holiday break, um, but um, yeah, I wanted to make sure we circle back with them. Same with 1737 Main Street. Haven't heard anything um, positive there in a, in a little while. Um, 7087, I'm happy to report the fence is up and they're um, just have a Got to look at the seating in the spring and make sure that everything is growing there. And otherwise, they've done a great job of fulfilling the conditions of their conditional use permit. So, or interim use permit, I should call it. Max storage is up and running. Um, well, I should I should say that they're days away from having a, or a, a certificate of occupancy. Um, they've got two pending leases and are hoping for six more, um, or at least five more. Um, to fill up their eight bays, and so if folks are interested, um, or if you know of anybody that would fit well into there, um, please let folks know over there. And the Amazon Fulfillment Center, as we acted on earlier tonight, um, has their some of their securities coming up, and um, we're acting on those. We um, seem to have solved any parking issues on Fairview with uh, signage and enforcement, um, and the cooperation of Amazon. I might add, they've been very cooperative. Um, but uh, I think we've got those those issues solved. Um, 
I will say that internally, I think they still have some issues. Their their parking lot is is very full, and um, I think they've been working with other sites to have off-site parking um, for some of those issues. But um, yeah, it's I'm, I'm sure it's a product of them being very busy, which is good. Then, as we mentioned, we've got uh, community engagement um, information that we've been trying to keep you abreast of. We're just again trying to add more. More information to this section so you guys understand um, you know, what we're doing for community engagement. And, and I think just trying to highlight the fact that we do have already a, a very robust community engagement um, set of platforms. I mean, I always kind of say if you don't know something, it's maybe maybe you're not trying hard enough because we've got it on, on just about every platform imaginable. So, any questions? Okay. Any questions for Mark? All right. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I uh, just wanted to say that uh, you and I had talked about um, the State of the City address mm -hmm. on March 21st from 8 to 9.30, and I just wanted to check in with the rest of the council and see if that was a good date for them. In March? March 21st. So, what is it, a Monday, Tuesday, it's Thursday? Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. I don't know that far ahead. I fly in at like 8.30 in the morning, so. You'll be right on time. <laughs> you have to still have to get from the airport here, but I'll pop in. Don't but otherwise, no, I'm, I'll be out of town in the morning. I bet your arms get pretty tired. They do. Uh, what time were you doing it? Uh, 8 to 9.30 is what we were thinking, kind of like last year. I know it's hard to get everybody in the same space, but we... If we want to make sure the mayor can be there to speak. So, Are you so I checked with him first, you know, and I just want to... far ahead, I just threw it on my computer. Yeah, but if we need to... I'm sorry. Sometimes that thing called a job meets in the way of things, doesn't it? You're talking PM or AM? AM. AM. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that. Okay. <clears throat> it works for me, so that helps. So thumbs up. We'll, we'll keep moving forward and okay. see what All right. happens. Sounds great. Right. Anything else? Nope. All right. Well, my agenda says that Ray is next. Uh, we did not have an EDA meeting because there was a lot of sickness. So we're meeting mm -hmm. next Monday. All right. <laughs> that was good. Keep the sickness at home. All right. Ross? All righty. Um, we did have, uh, we had no uh, planning and zoning meeting since our last uh, council meeting. We did have fire steering committee meeting, um, appointed a new chair, which is also an old chair, uh, Matt Percy, who does a great job. He will be chairing the fire steering committee meeting. He's a council member at City of Circle Pines. Um, talked about a number of things. I did a budget review for 2023. Uh, we were a little bit over on budget by uh, about $115,000 roughly, but the numbers are not final. Um, there's still some more uh, costs and revenues or whatever coming in. So, um, however, although we were $115,000 over budget, um, we were also up about 88000 in revenues. So, all in all, um, we did exceed budget by, Mark, and you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, 
um, whatever the difference is between 115 and 88 so that's about what 35,000 bucks or so um, that we were over budget but and a lot of that is due to um, maintenance costs um, payroll went up a little bit about 15,000 maintenance was $76,000 over budget at maintenance on some of our or some of our trucks are getting older um, so um, no what did I say yeah so expenses were up 108,000 is what it was and then revenues up about 88,000 that's what I have here so all in all we we were over budget a little bit or we're going to be and training budget went up a lot too which is good because training is good for those folks we were above seventeen thousand dollars over training but that's uh that's a good place to be over in my view anyway um the uh calls were also up and we're going to be changing that as i recall a few years ago um, we had an issue with that too um but what the chief is going to look at doing is changing, um, looking at the type of calls we're going on. And I think one of the examples he used is they're going out on, uh, somebody's got a bloody nose and they're calling the fire department. Mm -hmm. So we're wasting, not wasting, forgive me for that's not the right word, but we're putting resources toward calls like that, that we could maybe um, use those resources elsewhere because it does kind of burn out, as chief says, it kind of burns out the firefighters and um and it taxes our, our people a little bit, so we're looking at reducing costs that way. Um, another thing that we're gonna look at doing is instead of buying new equipment all the time, if we have an opportunity to share equipment a little bit, we can maybe reduce one of our, get rid of one of our fire trucks because we have, what, three, four stations within about a mile and a half square, you know, radius, there's like four fire departments, but, um, working with SBM that we're doing, we're probably gonna, we got a new truck coming, um, that could be about a year, we don't know before we get it, but we may be um, parting with another truck um, that we may not need if we start sharing some equipment. So instead of duplicating all that equipment, we can save some money there. So we have a very um, responsible um, operations committee and they do a very, very good job. Uh, that is really I think all I have Mr. Mayor thank you all right thank you Terry yeah just um Mr. Koski covered the majority of it I know the, the biggest concern of the fire chief is with the caliber of volunteers he said that the um, Centennial has very very good volunteers for the fire department and his concern with changing of the calls was when they go on a call the, the newer generations aren't as willing to, oops, I missed the truck, I'll just sit here and do the paperwork kind of thing. They want to make sure that when they're going and they're doing this, that they're doing something and that they're being um, used properly. So he said that's was one of his concerns. The training, um, yeah, they said they're doing a lot of training and they're making sure that everybody is able to take any kind of training that, that's available. And the, the one truck he did mention was um, engine 31, um, that's the one that's it had a lot of maintenance on it. And uh, what he said, I think I was on the fire department when we bought that truck. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was a really cool truck when we bought it. Okay, huh. um, but yeah, that was one of the the maintenance issues. And uh, um, yeah, he talked about um, not he didn't call them fire districts. He, 
but you had an area, he says, Lake Joe's station is a mile and a half away from one of their stations, he says, and they've got just as much equipment. And the cost of fire trucks has, has you know, quadrupled in the last 10 years. But he said every, every fire department goes in and orders a special truck. He says, and so now the trucks are like $1.2 million to get a fire truck. But they're all custom. And the, the, the trucks that they're looking at for, for our district are standard fire trucks. And they're just as good. They got all the stuff that you need on them. You don't, you know, you're not fancying it up so that you can, you know, show off your truck. But um, yeah, he seems like he's. What do you say now? He's he's now officially been there a year, so he's made it past his. Yeah. Uh, his <laughs> and uh, um, I, I was I was pretty impressed. At, you know, having been part of the. Centennial District before it got blown up. Um, uh, the firefighters they, they do take pride in the in the place that they're from, and that was one of the things that he talked about. That would be hard to change the name if you consolidate the departments, because the people that are on right now they have a lot of pride in Centennial, and the SBM people have a lot of pride in their department. So to Combine things like Centennial used to be. You could probably still do it, but it, there's going to be a little bit of a meshing issue. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Um, I don't think. I think that I think that we're we're heading in the right direction, and there's you know one suburb here that they have some different people now that maybe open to fixing what was broken. So, um, always open for conversation. Yeah. And well, that's, and that's, that's one thing he, he wants to keep that, that conversation open and it's not just our area, but to all the departments are so close and the stations and the equipment and everything is, is so duplicated, triplicated. And, mm -hmm. You know, one station has a closet full of equipment that could easily just be picked up and brought over to another station rather than purchasing new equipment so and uh, mr. mayor one yes, other comment please. if I may Terry and we are in that third year of our contract with them and that's kind of a big thing because the next contract we sign is it may look a little bit different and how long do we go another three or another five so we'll, we'll be having that conversation I think as a group too I would think mark what we want to do with that because we're and, and it's something that's going to take some planning so we can't wait till August and say, what are we going to do? I mean, we've got to start planning that now. So thank you. Terry, do you want to say anything about the, the gifts from Park and Rec? If not, that's okay. Um, well, there's a nice little coffee mug in there that yep. they're going to be giving out and showing off. And I put mine back here because it was kind of bugging and sitting in front of me. <laughs> but I thought they had talked about um, they were going to be giving out this, this little... It's been, it's been a couple of weeks now since I was at the meeting. So. These chocolates are really good. So, yeah. I, sorry, I already ate all my chocolates. but <laughs> for, for the volunteers, uh, the Parking Rec Committee is doing that. So. Yeah, right. yeah, and they... they um, I thought they were they had those available for, for state night, too. But there's a, there was you know, a packet of hot chocolate in there. The mugs are really nice. Yeah, they are. Very nice. Yeah.
Okay, no meetings this last uh, ADA was canceled and Avery? Um, yeah, I guess just quickly. Uh, at school, spring semester started up. So, and then, as you can tell from my not exactly early arrival, Centennial Lacrosse preseason practices started, and um, Mock Trial won their last trial right. against Crete and Durham Hall. So. Congrats. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Kurt, did you have anything for the group? Greetings. <laughs> well, I, I did want to start off by thanking Park and Rec for the um, volunteer appreciation bags and gifts. Um, very thoughtful of them and just wanted to appreciate them. I also wanted to say thank you to Chris Swenson. She um, re-upped her term for EDA, so we wanted to thank her for her service on that board. I wanted to take this opportunity, um, this was all in our consent agenda, but to thank the election judges. That, that feels like something that is really, really important to us, not only in our city, but in our world or in our country overall. And it's probably something that goes unnoticed. I mean, we go there, we, we take our ballots from the person and we go vote and we don't think much of it, but they're there doing a job for us and they volunteer. Um, and I see a lot of the same names on that list each time we have an election. So I want to thank those members. And we do have a police governing board coming up, meeting coming up on the 5th here. We have our council retreat on the 3rd, so just make sure everyone has that on their calendar and is ready to go. And Athanasia um, mentioned the state of the city, so that's a little bit further out. We'll figure that one out, but those two other meetings are coming up here pretty quickly. With that, uh, I would entertain a motion to adjourn the regular council meeting so that we can move back and to completion of our work session. So moved. So we, have a, we have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed by the same sign. We stand adjourned for a regular council meeting. God bless and everyone have a great evening. And we're going to seamlessly just move right back into our work session.